Hello, hello, and welcome to a very special episode of The Back Peg. It is January, and January 2024 brings two international tournaments, the Asian Cup as well as the African Cup of Nations. We're going to be doing a big preview show for both tournaments. This is our Asian Cup preview. Can the Socceroos carry their good form from the Men's World Cup in Qatar? They return to the scene, and can they pull off another memorable moment at this tournament? We have big teams, big players, and more teams, more players at this tournament, and it should be a lot of fun to dive into. Laz is alongside me, and we're going to go through every single one of the groups, give our predictions, hear from some guests as well, importantly, and we're going to see whether or not Japan can live up to expectation. They are the heavy favorites. Can they deliver in 2024? We're going to be kicking off this episode with Group A, of course. Where else shall we begin than with the host Qatar? in their group alongside China, Lebanon, and Tajikistan. So Nathan, now it's time for us to go through each group in order and I guess we'll start with the hosts, Group A, obviously. Qatar, China, Tajikistan, and Lebanon. Qatar looking to bounce back after a pretty horrific 22 World Cup on the pitch. They are the defending champions. Yeah, so Which is bizarre. very much a, a mixed bag coming into this tournament, isn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> they they peaked too early for the uh, Asian Cup and uh, yeah, failed unfortunately in the last World Cup. But it's an opportunity to redeem that redeem themselves in front of their home crowd. Yeah, absolutely, it is. They had their their pants pulled down in the group stage of the World Cup, mm. but uh, in Asia they can reassert their dominance. But I don't think this Qatari team is quite as good as the 2019 edition. I agree. Uh, I think there's also the question marks over the manager. Carlos Quiros departed mm-hmm. not that long before the tournament starts. Uh, in comes uh, Tintin Marquez, who has a big job on his hands to get everyone together and on the same ba- on the same page very quickly. Yeah, I mean they've still got some of the best players that we've seen from the last two tournaments they played in, like Akram Afif and mm-hmm. Almo Azali. Really good talents. Uh, really good players, and they mm. can cause trouble for anyone. It's just the case of whether there's enough alongside them to back them up and really get something going in this tournament. What do you make of the rest of the group? Is there enough in here to really trouble Qatar for top spot? To be honest with you, Nathan, I don't think the winner comes out of this group at all, right? What is concerning is why Kiros left the national team so soon before a Asian Cup it it doesn't bode well for their chances. Now, with regards to China, mm. look, the Chinese national team have been off the boil for quite a few years now. It, it, well, I would dare say nearly a decade because they they weren't, you know, they're probably their last strong showing really was in the Asian Cup that was held on our shores. Um, and then again, it wasn't even, you know, wasn't even that strong to be fair. Yeah, uh, I'm not impressed by from what I've seen of China. Do I think they'll come out of the group? I do. I think Qatar will actually, and uh, I'm not saying this with any great confidence, I think Qatar get through in first, purely on the back of just being the home nation. Um, I don't think Tajikistan and Lebanon will offer too much in terms of um, in, in terms of competition um, or troubling um, Qatar and China. So I think Qatar and China will go through first and second and possibly um, Tajikistan in, well, Tajikistan, Lebanon, take your pick, whoever finishes third. But uh, we should mention that at this point that for the four best third-placed 
nations in their groups will come out um, and join the round of 16. So, yeah, so four out of six, which means correct. that we're playing all these group stage games just to say goodbye to eight teams, which correct. is a necessary evil of having 24 teams at an international tournament. I think this is the best format to run a tournament of this size. Yeah. And it's just a case of whether Asia has the depth to get to 32. I have my doubts over whether there was a depth same. to get to 24. Yep, same. Um, same. Just oh, I agree. Yep. around these groups, I think there is a lot of teams here that are going to be knocked out quite comfortably in the round of 16. Yeah. Uh, and depending on the matchups, of course. But um, the likes of Tajikistan and Lebanon, they play each other on match day three. I think that will be a, a shootout for third place. Correct. I expect China and Qatar to take care of both those sides in their mm. matchups. And uh, that match day three is uh, going to be very enticing to see because first in the group is up for grabs as well as third. And mm. I think it may indeed come down to that last match day. China aren't in great form though. We should we should mention that you know their last two pre- preparation matches they lost to Oman and and mm. Hong Kong. Yeah. So and that one would sting. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, things preparation wise aren't looking great for China, but we do expect them to make out make them out you know make it out of the group uh, in second. I suspect. Even still, like Qatar haven't been in the best form in the last twelve months either. No, like, that's true. They lost 4-0 to Iran, 4-0 to Panama, mm. 2-1 to Kenya. Like, mm. These aren't games and results that point to a team that's ready to go and make a real run at the latter stage of this tournament. And you're right in thinking that the winner doesn't come from this group. I agree with you on that. Yep. I think we might be saying goodbye to all the teams coming out of this group fairly early. I, I think it's fair to say that I think it's fair to say that they'll probably be eliminated at the round of 16 phase, both of them. It just depends on who they come up against. Correct, correct. Like and if, yeah, yeah, if it is a team such as the UAE, maybe they have a chance. Perhaps mm. uh, that that's more of a, a coin flip. Mm. But obviously, if it's someone on a lower rung than that, say like a, a Palestine or an Oman, then maybe you're looking at potentially uh, getting through to the quarters. But I mm. definitely don't see them getting past there. Yep, no, I agree. I agree. Well, it's time to talk about Group B at this Asian Cup, and it's the home group. It is the Socceroos in action against India, Syria, and Uzbekistan. And this is, a, of course, a highly contested group, a uh, group of very strong intrigue from uh, those in this part of the world, of course. Laz, how do you see it going? What was your first initial reaction to the group being drawn? Nathan, I thought it was a very positive group for Australia, to be fair. I thought, uh, well, obviously India is an emerging nation in regards to football. Syria um, have always been a bit of a thorn in our side, whatever we've played them. They've been a very difficult opponent. And Uzbekistan, they flattered to deceive, basically. (laughs) So, Uh, yes, yeah, that's... That were my thoughts, and I thought it's a very winnable group for Australia. Yes, Uzbekistan and Syria will provide a challenge, but Australia at best should come out of this with nine points, at worst seven. Yeah, I think there should be two wins first up, and then you go into the last game, maybe you can uh, wrap up qualification depending on how the results are gone. We'll get into sort of predictions on how the group's going to line up in a little bit, but kind of expecting the Socceroos to be already guaranteed to go through after match day two against India and then Syria. 
So just see how Arnie would play that third game. Maybe oh. he rotates a bit, give some other players a go in the team and uh, plan out the tournament a bit more than just focusing on the three group stage games. I agree with you. I think it's a very winnable group for Australia. I think as far as these Asian Cup groups go, it is on the more difficult side, but that just speaks more to the, the depth in Asia at the moment. I don't mm. think there's... I think Syria and Uzbekistan are some of the better pot two, pot three teams that Australia could have been drawn against. Sure, yeah. Well, I agree with but, you. But uh, even so, Australia should win this group quite comfortably, even if there's a bit of an incentive to come runner-up. Yes. Yeah, there is. Let's not, let's not <laughs> kid ourselves. There is. Because whoever comes second in this group is... Got a pretty good run, I think. Yeah, in, a in the knockout phase. match up against either Qatar or China, mm. which will be the winner of Group A, and a relatively kind round of 16 as well. Mm. A very kind round of 16. I think it is a pretty easy passage to a, a semi final, as easy as you're going to get in an Asian Cup. Mm. When you compare the the other big seeds, the, the winner of this group is going to be on course to meet Saudi Arabia in a quarterfinal. Yeah, correct. You've got Japan, Korea, Iran as alternatives, I think. China Qatar in a quarterfinal is the easiest one you can get. So oh, the agree. question is question is, do you sort of plan that? Does that come into your thinking? Would you rather finish second or you just gotta beat because you gotta beat the best team sooner or later if you want to win the tournament. So take on all comers as it comes. Look, at the risk of sounding controversial, mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see how it would play out should Australia finish second by, you know, with two wins and a draw. Let's say, for instance. Uzbekistan win both their games as well. Comes to the match day three, it's a draw, but Uzbekistan have a better goal difference. Well, okay, so be it. I'll take that. Looking at yeah. the, looking at the way the the brackets are right uh, in a competitive sense, take on all comers. Mm. Take on all it will take on all comers, right? Um, so if you want to be the best, you got to be the best, huh? Yeah, correct, correct. You're gonna to have to play them at some point. Yep, in order to be the best. So. It's just a question of how far that you can progress, right? I think Saudi are gettable in the quarterfinal, right? If um, if that's the case, and it looks more than likely a semi-final against Japan. Yeah, which is not kind to have Japan on the same half of the draw as the Socceroos, no. of course. Japan being the far and away, I think, on paper coming into this tournament best team. Mm. Yes, football's not played on paper, but just look at the quality and depth. And I think Japan have the, the highest floor shall I say, out of yeah. all the teams at this tournament, I think. Don't think there's any glaring weakness in the squad mm. for the Japanese, the Blue Samurai. Mm. But that's for discussion down the line, Laz. Talking specifically about the Socceroos in this group yep. and their opponents. Uzbekistan always the uh, yeah. old dark yeah. horse, so to speak. Everyone's that's right. Each tournament expecting something of them. Look, they got Do a you couple. think we're going to see that? Do you think Syria might be able to sneak into second, perhaps? Mm. Is that possible? Look, Uzbekistan have got injuries. Right. There's a couple of injury concerns to a couple of their big-name players. Like I said, they flatter to deceive most of the time, so I don't think this is the tournament that is going to be considered a breakout tournament for Uzbekistan and say, hey, you know, but could they win the group? Only in the scenario that I highlighted previously, yeah. right? Um, Syria are going to be a prickly opponent. I think Syria will be a nuisance to both Australia and Uzbekistan. So I think both Australia and Uzbekistan will counter... For India, um, they'll account for India, I should say. I think it'll be Australia, Uzbekistan, and Syria. That's how I see the groups playing out. I don't think, though, third place from this group will actually be one of the top four third place getters. 
I think whoever comes yeah. third in this group is gone. I think so too because I think Uzbekistan are one of the better pot two teams. And yes, India should be three points for each other team in the group. I'm not expecting India to get a point from this group, if I'm being honest. Um, three points might be enough if Syria can get past them. Uh, but really for mine, the Syrians not bringing their own version of Ibrahimovic, Omar Al-Soma, yep. is a massive surprise. I couldn't believe it when I saw that he was left mm. out of the squad. Mm. Yes, he's 34. He might be getting on, but... No, but you this know, guy has a fantastic reputation and has scored so many goals down the years and also been very annoying for the Socceroos. I remember that 2018 Correct. World Cup uh, playoffs, mm-hmm. that, that playoff series, and the Syrian team with Omar Al Soma posed so much threat. And you look around, I really only see Kribben as the, mm. the danger man for Syria. Mm. And I don't think this is the same team that the Socceroos came up against five years ago. No, I agree. I agree with you. I don't think they are either. The Socceroos squad, I mean, we've discussed it in previous episodes, but looking at it, I think it's pretty solid. There are a couple of surprise omissions that we've touched on previously, but I think um, all in all, um, the side isn't a a bad team. Yeah, we have covered it off on our main series of the back pegs, Mm. but uh, we can give some bullet points here. Mm. Uh, for those of uh, you are checking out this uh, podcast in isolation, this preview, uh, Jamie McLaren is a big miss for mine. I would have taken him probably the best out now goal scorer Australia's got, but there's question marks over his all-round game, and he's never really done it in a green and gold shirt. But at A-League level, he's the best goal scorer of all time. I personally, as I said, would have taken him, but say la vie, we haven't got him. Um, Bruno Fornaroli is in fine fettle himself, so in comes that as a good option off the bench. I think there's question marks over the goalkeeping situation with Matt Ryan. Is he fit? Is he ready to go? Joe Gauchy started against Bahrain. He probably will start against India as well, but we'll see. Yeah. I also think there's nine. There is nine defenders. I think that's probably one or two too many. I'll well, swap one of those out and bring a midfielder instead. Yeah. We've only got six recognised midfielders, which I think is a bit of a con- concern with regards to the squad of 26, but okay. You know, that's how it goes. Yeah. And... I, there's three right backs in this team: Gethin mm. Jones, Lewis Miller, and Nathaniel Atkinson. Mm. Yes, yeah, Atkinson can play as a right mid if need be. Yeah, yeah. But it seems like Arnie's picked players for versatility reasons. Like Tom Deng can play across the back line. Yeah. Now, agree. I agree. Agree. Did with you that. need that many defenders? Probably well, not. Look, hopefully, look, starting eleven, right? Let's go with Matty Ryan because he will be first choice. Because he will be first choice. I think Gauchi is second choice. Mm-hmm. Um, although I have no problem with Lawrence Thomas either, to be fair. Yeah, I'm sure if right. uh, Lozatosa gets called upon, yep. then he'll deliver. But uh, he is the third choice keeper. So back four, who have we got? Uh, for mine, I think it will be Jones who starts. Really? Okay. Yep. I liked what I saw against Bahrain. Sure. Uh, for his soccer's debut, um, the competition is Lewis Miller and Atkinson. I think mm. Gethin Jones, based on what we saw in that game, might just edge it because it is much of a muchness for mine. I don't think there's a real lock for that position at all. It would have been Ryan Strain if he's fit yeah, in the right. squad. Yeah, correct. Um, but also I'm surprised Milos Degenek is not here. That is a surprise omission. There's a couple um, of other surprises uh, as well, but yeah, that is a surprise omission. Yeah, but I think Gethin Jones does start. Um, I was going to say Atkinson will be starting. Yeah, it, it, uh, it depends on the game as well, who you're playing. Like If you're playing yeah. against India, like Atkinson's... Would offer Atkinson would offer more to the team going mm. forward. Mm. You're playing against Japan. I think you need someone a little bit more. 
that defensive and you can bring yep. in Jones. Yeah, no, I agree. And, yep. no, I agree um, with you depends on who you plant, of course. Yeah, um, I think I'm the not... centre back pairing has to be Burgess and Suter. Not I Kai don't Rolls. think we're going to see any surprises. It seems as though for mine, Burgess has got in front of Kai Rolls. Okay. Uh, the last two games the soccer has played, it's been Burgess mm. and Suter. I, I mean, think if the plan was for Kai Rolls to come in to go alongside Suter, we would have seen it. Yep. Recently, but not the case. Still going to go Rolls. I think Jordy Foss at left back. Yeah, I'm still going to go Rolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm going to go Suter. Yep. And I think um, I think Bayich will start. Okay. I think as is Bayich will be starting at you know uh, starting left back. But I think that um, Jordy Boss will definitely feature as well at left back during the tournament. I think it's the same thing. Like Boss will play mm. against the likes of India mm. and Bayage will play against the likes of Saudi mm. Arabia. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, no. there's versatility in the profiles of the players in this yeah. back yeah. line. Yeah, and you can slot Deng in anywhere, anywhere along that. Yeah, you can. Which is a great thing to have. But what do you make of a changing defence, Laz? We often see... The best teams at international tournaments, they have a back four or five. They don't change it, yep. and they carry that all the way through. There's strong, strong cohesion there. Sure. If we're talking about swapping fullbacks out, is that seen as a negative? Do you think? I don't mind if we go for three five two or five three two, right? Mm. If that's the case, and I would put in that case, I would put Burgess in or Ding, yeah, right next to Rolls and um, and Sudo in my case, and and then have you know the options that we discussed. Right, because I think they're a plug and play with regards to Beige. You know, uh, I mean, the great thing about Beige is his experience. Right, Jordy mm-hmm. Boss, you know, is definitely showing a lot of promise, and no problem there. Um, again, Atkinson, you know, Atkinson might be the uh, the go to there. Right, as far as right back is concerned, maybe Jones. Right, it, again, it's a bit of a plug and play situation. Even Miller, for that matter. I mean, I don't think we we'll lose anything on the right. Mm, yeah. Um, so, I've and, from Lewis Miller yeah, so far. And I think that's what'll actually and I think that's why we're light in the midfield. I think that there will be that kind of all right, sure at the back, play three, three at the back at times. Although I'm I i do not recall Arnie ever doing that, but I think I don't recall Arnie doing it. He may have done it once or twice, but I, I don't in recent history since the World Cup, I don't recall him actually doing that. Maybe because we haven't I, had the opponent to do so. Look. To be fair, I haven't really looked into it, but I don't right. ever remember Arnold playing the back three or five, be it for the Socceroos, be it for the Central Coast or mm. for Sydney. I yeah, don't ever remember seeing it. Something is rarely, rarely done. But mm. the thing is about this side is that he can do it if he has to. If he has to change things up, he can, which is, you know. And look, when you look at the squad, you're going, okay, well, nine defenders, nine attackers, six midfielders. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, who do we think the midfield will be? Jackson Irvine will obviously be in there because yes. he's skipper. Yep, he will wear the armband against India. Anytime Matty Ryan doesn't play, um, Irvine will have the uh, the armband, so he's a lock. I think he'd be a lock anyway, even yep. if he wasn't a stepping captain. I think out of the options in the midfield, he's the one that's in the best form for his club sure. side. Yeah. Uh, I think it will be Keanu Bacchus alongside, even though... He didn't get on the pitch against Bahrain, which yeah. was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, maybe Riley McGree against the likes of India. Mm. Are we assuming that Arnie will go four two three one here or four three three? I mean, four two three one is essentially a four three three, isn't it? It is. <laughs> but it, it, but what I'm saying is that obviously you're playing with two sixes. Yeah. Right, and backers should be effectively, you know, one's going to go, one's going to stay, and be a little bit. Deeper than the three, right? 
Yep. Um, because of of three, you know, someone's going to got to play ten. So instead of having you know a six, eight, and ten, you're playing with two sixes effectively. I still and, think of four, four twos on the table here. You could be right. You could be right, but I don't see it unless you're pushing a one of your attackers back or one of your defenders forward from your squad. Mm. I, I, you know, because if that's the case, okay. So let's go with say two central midfielders. Let's take your premise and go four four two, right? Yeah, you've got Jackson Irvine and Keanu Backus, right? Yep. Are you right? So then it'll it, it comes into reason. I don't like it. I don't like the four four two for Australia right now. I think we need to have a ten, like a, yeah, a, a I mean a ten, right? Like what we saw against Bahrain, it was Metcalf on the right, Goodwin on the left, and Silvera roaming around up there and, near Duke. And that's why, yeah. Mm. And that's what I like about that. Yeah, that that was the four four two. It was kind of like a four four two against Bahrain, mm. and it was a all right. Bit, bit of a diamond type of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like Metcalf can play off the right. He plays off the right a bit, but he's not a winger per se. No. And I think Craig Craig Goodwin will hug the sideline but over on the left. Well, he'll that's, yeah. Get chalk on the boots, and it's a bit of a lopsided four four two for yeah for Lee lopsided four four two. And maybe we see Aiden O'Neill. Maybe works better in a two rather than backers. But I think it's effectively you can plug and play again in the midfield for yeah, a partner yeah. for Jackson Irvine, be it O'Neill, be it Backus. What about McGreen? Maybe not McGreen a two. Mm. Maybe not McGreen a two. And where would, where does he go in a four four two? Off the right, maybe as a mm. second striker. See, that's where, like I said, a four two three one gives you that flexibility to play a second mm. striker if you need to, just behind the the you know, um, whoever the number nine's going to be. Because no shot. Sure. Yeah. And then from that lineup against Bahrain, I think there is a spot somewhere for Martin Boyle. Yeah, but, but Martin, is it? Martin Boyle can play a flank. He can, yeah. Which is where I would put him on the right. Maybe he would come in for Silvera in this mystery system. Mm. So okay, I don't think I don't think we'll see Duke and Fornaroli together. I don't I, think we'll I see. Agree with you. Yeah, I don't think we'll see two of Duke, Fornaroli, Hydale, and Yengi on the pitch at the same time. No, it'll be one of those at most at any given point. Yeah, and then just it, the others nipping around and working themselves into space to create some opportunities. Because mm. that is my sort of grow up with the Socceroos. They don't create enough from open play. We have scored plenty of goals in the last two years or so from. Corners, be it Harry Sutar's mm. head against mm. uh, vertically challenged defences, shall we say? Sure. <laughs> um, but we need to create more from open play, particularly against teams that will sit in. That's the the issue for mine. And look, I'm a bit nervous about a four four two, but I take your point, and I can see where someone like Fornaroli playing off Duke might be good if you're playing a proper straight out four four two, or a Silvera for yep. that matter, right? Like a four four one one, right? Um, I think we just need to be – I think when it comes to the knockout phases, I think we need to be a little bit more reserved, mm. right, because of the creativity that you mentioned and that we need to build our way into the tournament, right, in order for that creativity to actually bear results or bear fruit. I want to say that we should go with maybe four four two to begin with against India. Yeah. And against – blitz teams. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and against Syria. If things don't go right in that Syria game for whatever reason, then make a tactical change into midfield and make it a 4-2-3-1 or something of that nature. Um, and in Uzbekistan, well, let's just wait and see exactly how the other two games pan out and whatever Graham Arnold thinks 
um, we should do. We're familiar with Uzbekistan. It's it's not as if we haven't played against them before. It's been mm. a little while, but you know, um, we always tend to come up against them at some point. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's one of those one of those tricky questions. It, it'll be will the formation change much going into the knockout phase of the tournament? I don't think the round of sixteen will provide an issue either way. I think once we no, get to the quarters, it's the issue. Australia's Australia's on course to play a. Uh... A third place yeah. team in the round sixteen. Mm. Yep, assuming they win the group, and that might be Lebanon, Vietnam, Palestine. Yeah, a team of that sort of caliber. Which Correct. I mean, Australia just only just played Palestine and only won one nil. Yeah, so it's not exactly a, a gimme by any means. No, not at all. But uh, it's at least you're not playing a second, so no. to speak. And um, you've got three games under your belt as well into yeah. the tournament, which is a big. Big thing, rather than playing Palestine, you know, within a week after having played at home. Yeah, uh, but yes, we're expecting the Socceroos to win the group. Uh, we'll get into discussions uh, for the knockout tree at the back end of this preview. Mm. Uh, but uh, we've got differing fortunes for the Socceroos in this tournament. Yes, we do. Duke will be striker. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Guaranteed. He'll, he'll start. Yeah. Guaranteed. I think he fits the team. Like he's a functional number nine. Rather than you picking because he's the the best number nine we've got. Who plays but, ten? Who plays ten if we do play with a ten? Silvera or Fornaroli or I'd like Metcalf. I reckon he's capable of doing it. You know, I would like Metcalf. It's not going to be him. Mm. I think rather McGree will be first choice if it is to be a four two three one in the hole. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, his energy is very good. I'd say. Yeah, McGree. Uh, I think if I was coaching the Socceroos, my front unit would be. Uh, look, I'm picking the best players. I'm best informed players. Fornaroli up front, Goodwin left. I, I would put Metcalf in the middle and off the right, I'd go Boyle. I like it. I like it myself. I do I, like, I like that. The, oh. And have Irvine and, and, and Backus. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of Fornaroli being a, an impact striker, but I think he's in such fine form. I mm. think he deserves a start based on the last four months. Yeah. And I think the back four... I'd go boss. I'd go oh, Burgess rolls. I don't know. Yeah, that's a toss up, fella. It is a toss up. Obviously, Sutar. Mm. And uh, yeah, let's go with Gethin Jones because mm. boss is going to get up the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. I like it, Nathan. I like it. What about you? What would be your team? Uh, like I said, uh, if we're going a 4 2 3 1, what I would like to do is go um, with Atkinson right back. Rolls Suter as my back two uh, centrally. Jordy Boss will probably would be my left back. I think. Look again, discussed at Beige. Beige will probably start, but yeah, I'd like to go with Boss. Two, uh, it'll be Irvine and Bacchus. I think will be my would be my two. Although I would like to give uh, Anil a bit of you know a shot in there as well. I like him. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go Boyle on the right. Uh, yeah, Goodwin on the left. For sure, he's in he's in good form in Saudi as well. As a ten, oh, as a ten, I'd probably go McGree initially, mm-hmm. but yep. give Silvera a go at it as well. I, I think yeah, he, I think he has something to offer. There's no you know no qualms about throwing him in in there. I do like the idea of Metcalf though, but you, I think it will be McGree. Yep, and it will be Miss Duke up front. But I'd love to see Fonaroli have a have a crack. He's in form, absolutely. That he is, and. Uh... Goals being the uh, the biggest thing or the hardest thing to come by. Mm. He's uh, finding the goals at the moment, Bruno. Indeed. So uh, 
let's hope he can find some more this January, February. Indeed. Uh, Les, two players we haven't mentioned in the Socceroos squad. Yep. Uh, Patrick Yazbek and Marco Tilio. Yep. Do we expect them to get any minutes? I don't. And we haven't mentioned... Well, we did mention Yangi as well, I guess. Yep. And Idale, um, to be fair. Yeah. I, I don't expect them to get a lot of game time. But I, I, I have no doubt they'll be ready should they be called upon. Mm. You know, Yazbek is... Um, you know, doing well by all reports overseas. And uh, Tilio, look, he's struggled with injury a lot in Scotland and hopefully he's back on the park. I actually think that's a get him into camp and get him around the Australian environment uh, in preparation for the Olympic qualifiers in April, I think, as well, to be fair. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. Mm. So, yeah, uh, how far do you think they go, Nathan? I think... I've said on previous podcasts and in other forums, I've got the Socceroos uh, losing on penalty to Saudi Arabia in the quarterfinals. I just think there's something in that mm-hmm. uh, Green Falcons lineup with Mancini in the dugout that's uh, brewing sure. a, a decent run at this tournament. Fair that's enough. the only reason. I think yeah. if the Socceroos finish second and they go into the kinder quadrant of the knockout bracket and potentially being in the same corner as China and Qatar or Qatar mm-hmm. as the best mm-hmm. team, then... I've got the soccer. I would have the soccer is getting to the semi final against Korea, Korea or Iran. Yep. Yeah, Iran. Mm. Um, and from there, I think the soccer is can beat Korea or Iran. So I'd probably be tipping Australia to make the final, to be honest. I think Australia make the second. Yeah, I think Australia make the final four. Yep. Look, I think as soon as they meet Japan, they're going home, if not you, sooner. Yeah, you've just uh, given a spoiler again, but we've probably given a couple of spoilers during yeah, this. Yeah, we have. Thing, but yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, nah, look, I'm inclined to agree with you reluctantly. I'd yeah. love to see the um, Socceroos take it out, but yeah. As would okay. I, as would I. And uh, we talked about this a few months ago. I think if the Socceroos were to win this tournament, I think 2024 might be the last year Graham Arnold in the dugout. Oh, geez, let's not go down this chat right now. Maybe we should have this chat, who you know, after the tournament. I, yeah, I, I, I get yeah. your point, though. I do get your point. Because he's got he another World right, Cup in him. He, does, but I also ask the question, how much further can he take the Socceroos? Because he will have righted the wrongs of his last tenure mm-hmm. with that Asian Cup failure. He's, he would have righted that wrong. He's achieved the equal best ever result for the Socceroos at a World Cup. Yeah. There isn't a whole lot more. Yes, he would like to see the next generation come through, I'm sure. He'd be looking at the Oli Roos team in prospect and think, oh, wow, there's a team there. I can take them to North America, North America 26. But... That's the thing about management. There's always a crop of kids coming through. Yeah, it's a never-ending cycle. And for mine, I think if the soccer is hard to be victorious in Qatar, I've got a sneaky feeling. Fair enough. The grandma will like, sit back and say, that'll yeah. do. That'll do for mm. me. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Look, maybe give him an ambassadorial role that he's, you know, a football Australian can give him an ambassadorial role. We can go and speak to the government. <laughs> yeah, that's the other fairly, side of it. He has been fairly vocal on that, yeah. Yeah, of within the last uh, twelve months, anyhow, mm. or uh, fifteen months. So yeah, um, I'm just going to say, go Socceroos, go the Socceroos. It's time to talk about Group C at this Asian Cup, and in Group C we've got the likes of Iran, Hong Kong, Palestine, and the United Arab Emirates. And it's an absolute pleasure to be joined on the line by Paul McNamara from the uh, South China Morning Post from Hong Kong. Paul, thank you very much for coming on the pod. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, let's dive straight into it. Talk to us about Hong Kong, their first appearance at an Asian Cup for some time. Just how big a story is this? 
Yeah, first appearance since 1968. And in terms of the national team football here, yeah, it's it's a very, very big deal. Um, uh, Norwegian manager who's in charge now, Jorn Andersen, has transformed the team, really. It's probably not overstating it to say that. He took over two years ago um, and he's completely changed the way the team play football. They were a fairly timid side, probably not particularly aggressive and will go into games with damage limitation probably as the primary objective, whereas he is steadily introducing an aggressive brand of football. He wants his teams to press high up the field, win the ball high up the pitch, all these modern things you hear coaches talking about. Um, and he's quite, being quite expedient with this as well because all his best players generally are attackers. So he wants them involved in the game as much as possible. Um, but among his achievements, he's I mean, a very big deal. It was only behind closed doors friendly last week, but Hong Kong beat China 2-1, which you can imagine is a, a, a big, big deal over mm-hmm. here. He took the the under-23 team to the Asian Games in September, October, where absolutely nothing was expected of them whatsoever, and beat Palestine and Iran in that competition and got them to the semi-finals. And that form has been transferred slowly but surely to the senior team. So they qualified last June by beating Cambodia and Afghanistan, then went through a very tricky spell. I think they scored three goals in about 11 games. But just, say, from October onwards, towards the end of last year, there's just been a transformation. They played a friendly against Brunei, who couldn't have been more compliant opponents. Uh, Quite possibly the worst international team I have seen in my life and I've been watching football for 40 years but they've beaten 10-0 <laughs> but that just seemed to flick a switch and the team are playing with more confidence more belief and there's four newly naturalised players all attackers in the squad all making a difference and it looks now like a team that can score goals which is why they go to the Asian Cup with they're looking at it with realism but with a measure of optimism over what they can do So Paul you, you mentioned that the Hong Kong strength would be in the attacking third, essentially, because that's yeah. where the best players are. Tell us about their midfield and um, defenders for for those of us that don't know. And uh, like, is there any quality in the midfield, for instance? Uh, anyone that we should keep an eye out on controlling midfield and, and really making an impact on, on these games? Yeah, they're good players in there. They're all local players. They're, there's a, a young lad who might not actually start, who I really like the look of, and has just come into the team in some of the practice games they had uh, back in Hong Kong before they travelled over to the UAE for their for the next stage of their camp. Um, a player called Jesse Yu Joy Yin. He's a 22-year-old, uh, very good on the ball, very quick thinking. Uh, he's, he's very slight, but lovely balance, lovely poise, always looks to pass the ball forwards, which is why the head coach really likes him. You'll see if anybody turns and passes the ball backwards, you will see... Jordan Anderson going absolutely berserk in his technical area. So <laughs> he, he's a big fan of Jesse. Whether he'll start, I don't know. Um, there's a big injury concern over probably the best and most experienced midfielder, a player called Wong Wai, who plays for Lee Man, who are the league leaders over here. Now, he was a player who had a lot of potential and a lot of big things were expected of him when he was 21, 22, 23. He's never really fulfilled that. Um, and it, it seems as if he's never really had the belief in himself that a lot of other people had in him. Mm-hmm. He, he's 
doesn't grab games by the scruff of the neck as you would want. Yeah. But he is very good on the ball. He's very competitive. And if he can overcome the injury that has been bothering bothering him, will be a very important player for Hong Kong. He's not played in any of the warm-up games yet. So they're hoping they have a game against Saudi Arabia this week. And they're hoping to give him some minutes there. Uh, the rest of the midfield is there's a player called Philip Chan Siu Kwan, who is is a real a little scrappy ball winner and a player called Tan Chun Lok, who is a strange case at the moment because he was playing over in China. He's come back this season to play for Kitchi, who are the kind of domestic powerhouse mm-hmm. here um, and play Champions League football. But he's not really been getting a game for Kitchi. But Yorn has a lot of faith in him and picks him all the time. And again, he's another one who you would probably think of as a typical Hong Kong player in terms of the local players who probably reluctant to assert themselves on the game, lack belief and purpose at times. But if they really did just have that confidence about them and get on board with what the head coach wants from them, is very capable of influencing games. They're all very good passers of the ball. Um, all pretty mobile, but it's they probably lack a bit of strength, physical mm. strength and pace is, is what the issue is in midfield. So, and if you want me to talk about the defence, they have, they've had a big blow before the tournament. They have a centre half called Jackie Leung Dok Hang, who plays his football in China. He's a favourite of the head coach, but he's been ruled out with an injury, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, so they've gone to this Asian Cup. At the, they went with four centre-halves. Uh, Jorn was very open about the fact and is very open about the fact he is concerned about his back four. Mm. Only two of the centre-halves were fit for a friendly against Tajikistan the other night. They lost the game 2-1 and both were soft goals conceded through the middle. Um, they have centre-halves called Lia Hoy and Oliver Gerber who are very... They play on the front foot and they're very chancy, uh, can be quite rash, uh, Lee especially, and and be quite casual in possession. He's very talented, but doesn't always pick his moments to play mm. uh, as judiciously as he should. Uh, they have an experienced Brazil-born defender called Helio Goncalves, who was injured against China, so they're hoping to get him fit. Um, Vaz Nunes is another who plays over in China, is another favourite of the head coach. He's had a shoulder problem. They're hoping, again, this a lot of hope in, in a heavy mm. Saudi Arabia game. They want to get yeah, him sure. minutes on the pitch. And the last one, they actually, they picked a 25-man squad. They've added the 26 player. They were hoping another player would receive his Hong Kong passport in time. He did not. So they've called up a player called Sean T, who is playing in the seventh tier of English football. So that probably tells you where they are with their defensive resources and depth at the moment. Yeah, very interesting. Talk to me about the uh, naturalised players and the sense with some of the Hong Kong punters with regards to their presence in the team? Is it a case of we'll take anyone to come on board provided they can upgrade the team? Is there a little bit of pushback that they are naturalised players? No pushback because they really do add to the quality of the team. And as I said, they're having so much trouble scoring goals. I said I think it was three goals in 11 games. They were not a good team to watch. They have got these players. So the first couple... Uh, Michael Udebulaza, who plays his football over in Germany, he's a teenage striker. Uh, he was actually born here because his father played football in the city. He received his passport in September. So did a Brazil-born player called Everton Camargo, who is a very, very talented player, plays off the right, uh, 
very good on set pieces, very direct. And they both immediately added a completely different dimension to Hong Kong's front line. Suddenly defences had to worry about Hong Kong. They couldn't, because defences were playing against Hong Kong, they come and stand on the halfway line because they had no fear about anybody running in behind them. Suddenly they've got Udabu as a, who can, who's got speed and strength and can get in behind and is an option with a ball over the top. They've got Camargo, who can open up defences, is very good on the ball. So they instantly became... I mean, people here did not did not know much about Michael because he's been playing his football out of sight. Everton's quite a well-known player because he's been playing here for seven years. But they've instantly become big hits with the national team fans. And then just in time for the Asian Cup, they've had another couple of players who reached their seven-year residency, got their passports. So they're Stefan Pereira and Junior, who play for Southern and Kitchi, respectively. They're both very good forwards, both in their 30s, which is a problem with the naturalised mm. players. That's one downside because by the time you get yeah. them after their residency, That's right. they've been, been here seven years. So by extension, they're going to be the wrong side of 30. But They're going to be experienced, Paul. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Experience is, is good. Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. That's probably how they would put it. Um, but they increase the quality in the squad. And what they do is they push the local players. So mm. there were players, and again, I'm not saying anything. The head coach would not tell you here. There were players who would just turn up for squads and think, well, it. I mean, they obviously wanted to do well, but the motivation was minimal because they were going to get picked again and again and again. Now, players who were shoo-ins to play in the team are being either challenged for their places or even finding their place in the squad come under threat. So the idea is, I mean, down the line, Jorn wants to be picking a team of players who are mid-20s and younger. But for now, I think it's just a case of trying to drive up the standard. Then if they can go and do something at an Asian Cup, the exposure that will generate, the interest that will generate is way supersedes what people think about whether this team has actualized players in it. And there are enough good local players who people like and are invested in that there's a nice there is a nice balance there. So with regards to the Hong Kong football scene and the youth program that is behind the um the seniors, you mentioned the under 23s previously. Um what is the uh, youth structure like? Um what is the uh, player talent pool coming through like? You know, where do you see the future of the Hong Kong national team uh, beyond this tournament? Yeah, that's a very prescient question because the youth system over here is not actually that great. I mean, one of the main problems with young players here, or one of the main issues that we have in the city, is players might reach a certain age, say 19, 20, and decide that their future lies outside the city. Mm. So two of the players from that Asian Games team have since stopped playing football and gone to England to study, which is, yeah. I mean, obviously in a lot of places, you can't imagine that being the case. And one of them in particular is a very good player, a centre-half called Ellison Tang. Uh, got a lot of potential. He was in a defence that was keeping clean sheets against Iran, Palestine. And now he's gone to England to study and is, is essentially off the scene. So Jorn's tearing his hair out about that. And the issue now is trying to keep these players in the system because they're generally produce good players who get to a certain age, 18, 19, and then there's they just disappear. And there's the local players have limited opportunities in the top division here because each team is allowed to play six foreigners and the best teams fill that quota. 
So because they they obviously they want to win matches, so they prioritise that over having young Hong Kong players in the team. So there's so many players just kind of fall through the gaps who are would otherwise have potential. What is promising is the players who shone in that Asian Games team. That's almost given them that gave them a platform to go and perform against good players and realise that they were capable of doing it. And a number of those players, so I think it's about eight of them, there's 10 players from the Asian Games squad are in this squad now for the Asian Cup. Uh, three of those were overage players for that competition, but seven of those young players have kept their places and probably wouldn't have expected to. Um, but they've managed to, they made a really strong impression over in that tournament. And I think it, it needed something like that to keep them interested in the system um, and maybe that will show those who are now 16, 17 that there is something to aspire to whereas previously I'm not sure they really believed that there was anything like that was possible with the Hong Kong team to go into a semi-final of an Asian Games going to an Asian Cup because like I said Hong Kong haven't done that for what is it 56 years 1968 no. Uh but, yeah, to go back to the original question, the youth structure is something that essentially needs overhauling. And there's a new chairman of the Hong Kong FA, and I think it's something that he is going to be putting at the very top of his priority list and is already talking about how we create facilities and, and infrastructure that makes people want to stay in the city and not clear off to England or the USA at the first opportunity. Yeah, always a, a battle I can imagine. And here in Australia, we're always competing with other sports for footballers, but in Hong of Kong, course. it seems as though you're competing with everything else, not just a sporting yeah, alternative, but a Competing with education. <laughs> and yeah, and the other thing is parents here. So players get to 14, 15, 16, are very talented and their sports clubs want them for a certain period of time. But they have to, and this sounds like a stereotype, but it's not. They have to go home and study them. They go and play their instrument. They're more studying and the sport just disappears. It falls through the gap. Mm. So another issue that I have here. So yeah, it can be other things and studying is the main one. Yeah. Well, let's circle back to uh, this tournament coming up and let's talk about the group. Hong Kong yeah. is in there with Iran, Palestine and the UAE. Yeah. A tough group on paper for Hong Kong and some of the attacking talent, in, especially in the Iranian team, looks pretty daunting on paper. What are your thoughts and expectations about Hong Kong coming into this? Is it a case of damage limitation? Is there hope of a point, a win? Where the, do we see? They believe they can beat Palestine and go through as one of the best third-place teams. Um, and they fancy their chances potentially of a draw against UAE if everything goes right on the day. Um, Iran, and I know you should never go to a tournament and say we accept we are going to lose this match, but Iran are so superior to Hong Kong and the teams played each mm. other in a World Cup qualifier in November. Mm. and Hong Kong actually rested players for that game because they knew they had no hope of winning it, and they were playing Turkmenistan four days later in a game which they did fancy they could get mm. something from, and they did. They drew the game to all. Um, but Iran, I, they're one of my favourites for the competition. Their attacking talent is formidable. They've got players who score goals in Europe, uh, players who are just on another planet, essentially, on a, on a completely different level from some of Hong Kong's. Uh, I think... The Hong Kong will not go into that looking for damage limitation. They will still play on the front foot and stick to their style of play because if they're not good enough to sit back and try to defend. If they do that, they'll concede a lot of goals. If they play their own way, the chances are they might just make Iran's 
life a bit more difficult and keep the score respectable. And that is important because if if Hong Kong manage to get the three points they want and it comes down to the best third place and the goal difference is going to be very important. Um, UAE, uh, an interesting case, got a very uh, experienced manager, haven't they, and Paolo Bento. Mm. Uh, they seem in reasonable form. They've been semi-finalists at the last two competitions. They always seem to perform well. Um, they, I think, probably, I mean, they're ranked in the 60s, aren't they, Yeah, in the world? And I don't see them as one of the teams this time around that's going to go especially deep in the competition. But I think if Hong Kong get anything from that game, it will be a hell of an achievement. It'll be one of the best results they've had in their history. Uh, Palestine, I mean, how they can even concentrate on football, I don't know, is something extraordinary that they're there and they're able to do that. But if we talk only about sport, they are struggling to score goals, aren't they? I think they've only scored, they haven't scored in their past four games. They, I think, have scored once in their past seven. They're very competitive. I mean, I know yeah, you've seen them play against yeah. Australia there. Yeah, that's good players, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think because Hong Kong can score goals and will play with no fear, they'll play with purpose, I, I think they, they have a chance. I wouldn't be going and rushing and putting on my spare change on them to win the game. But I think I, I would definitely give them a punch of chance of getting something from that game and very potentially winning it. But you're right, it's, it's a very difficult-looking group. And... Palestine is the final game, so we could be essentially looking at a knockout game by the time we get to Hong Kong's third game on the 23rd of January. So uh, is it a good thing that they're starting the competition against the UAE, do you think, where it's a where they're viewing it as potentially they can get a result out of it somehow? Probably, yeah. Um, I think rather than go in, the game where they're going to feel pressure is Palestine, yeah. and I don't think they particularly want to play that first up. Mm. Um they wouldn't want to play Iran first up because of what might happen. And sure. if you lose if you lose three, four nil, you don't want to start your tournament that way, even if that's what you expect to happen and you can rationalise what happens. Yeah. It's still your first game gone and you've been beaten three or four nil and you've got this minus four goal difference and you're already looking like you've got a mountain to climb. Mm. So yeah, UAE I think is a good test first up. They've chosen um or they've managed to secure themselves some good friendlies in the lead up to it. So they're playing yeah. Nothing about UAE is going to surprise them. They played mm. China, who, I mean, they are on their uppers a little bit at the moment. China, they're a very poor team, but they're still reasonable reasonable quality opponents. Played mm. Tajikistan, who are a good side. They've got this game against Saudi coming up. So they'll, mm -hmm. I think they'll be well prepared for it. And yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a fair point. I think UAE probably is a good one to start with. It's, it's a tough test. It's There's no enormous pressure um and it's yeah it's not one where they're you wouldn't have thought they're gonna go and get hired and start the competition and mm. have, have their spirits sapped on yeah. on day one before they even got started yeah um paul talk to us about this tournament overall you said you're, you're heading over for the games which i'm sure will be a lot of fun um talk to us about your expectations for this tournament and how you see it all going out essentially off the pitch what are your feelings towards this tournament being in Qatar again? Um, well, it's not ideal. I don't. I'm not a big fan of. Uh, I don't agree with tournaments being staged in Qatar. I didn't agree with the World Cup being staged there for all the reasons people have spoken about and the human rights issues in the country. Um, so yeah, I'm not particularly an advocate of Qatar 
as a host. And not just for that reason, I'm not sure um, it's you really get to capture what a major finals should be when you are just condensed into such a tiny space. Going to a major finals involves, and I'm not talking about me here because I'll, I'll be spending my time sitting in media centres and hotel rooms a lot of the time. But for people who want to go and watch the tournament, it involves going and seeing a country and seeing different parts of the country. So I've been to mm. a World Cup in Korea and a World Cup in Germany, and they were just some of the best experiences of my life. And th that would have been the case, you know, so many memories of things off the field, as you said, as as much as everything I saw on the field. Um, I still think, however, it's going to be a very exciting tournament. I'm not... I was a huge advocate either of the 24 teams being whittled down to 16. Uh, I think it can make for a bit of a prolonged um, opening group stage. It takes away a lot of jeopardy in the opening group stage, doesn't it? Because teams can get away with a lot. So I'm talking to you here about, I'm contradicting myself a bit because I'm very, you know, I'd love Hong Kong to get through yeah. and, and take three points and get through. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's, it's, I mean, the European Championship has been... Um, ruin too strong a word but it's not the tournament it was in terms of the level of competition mm. since it was increased from 16 to 24 teams mm. because you can just get away with so much I, mean, I think Portugal won it in 2016 the European Championship with and they drew their three group matches um, but that said I don't want to sound like a negative Englishman I think there's a lot to be excited <laughs> about there's a lot of excellent players going to be at the tournament and mm. um, it means so much to the players involved. Yeah. Um, and I'm talking the top-level players as well, um, which I think people in Europe sometimes overlook. Um, they'll, they'll see players from their clubs going off to the Asian Cup and think, why, why are they going and mm. playing in that for? Well, the Asian Cup's been around longer than the European Championship has. So if players, if clubs in Europe sign these players, they should know that they're going to be going off to the Asian Cup. Yeah, correct. Um, and, I mean, I spoke to Sam Angolos recently, uh, the Iran player, who plays for Brentford, and he said if he wins the Asian Cup, it would be, be the biggest thing he's ever done in his life. So, I mean, that's that's what these players feel about the competition. I really do think when it gets to the knockout stages, there's going to be some tremendous matches. Mm. And so, I mean, so many players I'm looking forward to watching. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited about the football. And I hope a lot of people do travel up. To be honest, I've not seen the numbers of fans that are expected there, but it would be fantastic if we see a lot of, Japanese, Korean, Australian fans, fans from all these countries going over and really enjoying the competition and getting to watch, hopefully, some very exciting and high-quality football. So how do you see the group playing out there, Paul? So from Group C, who of Iran, UAE, Palestine and Hong Kong progress through to the uh, knockout phase? Uh, I think Iran, um, I mean, I'm saying anything that's going to surprise absolutely anybody here, I sure. think Iran will win the group and I'd be mm -hmm. very surprised if they don't win it with nine points. Yep. I would I would expect UAE, I think, to take the second place. Um I think I don't think they'll run away with it. I think I mean we talked about Palestine not scoring, but they don't concede many goals either. And yeah. UAE certainly aren't gonna find it easy to beat Palestine. So that could end up being a draw, but I think UAE just have the greater quality. Mm. I think they've got they have do have a manager with tournament experience in Paolo Bento, and he took South Korea to a through a World Cup group last year. He's uh, he had a mixed record with Portugal, um, so he was knocked out of a World Cup in a group stage, wasn't he, with Portugal? But he yeah. took them to the Euro semi final. Um, but 
I think he knows how to navigate a tournament group. So I would put UAE second and then, um, God, I'll say that Hong Kong will beat Palestine and come third. There you go. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. And uh, Paul, who's your tip to take the whole thing out? Um, I'm going to say South Korea. Um, I think a lot of people think Japan, and Japan go in as a highest-ranked Asian team, don't they? But I think, I mean, Korea, surely law of averages says they're going to win it sooner or later. Mm -hmm. They've had so many good teams, so many good players, and they've not won it for, I think, it's 1960, isn't it, the last time they won? Um, they've got uh, Kim Min-jae at the back, who I think is an absolutely brilliant centre-half and doing the reputation of Asian defenders, the power of good in Europe as well. Yeah. But you're talking about an Asian who went and was named the best defender in Serie A, where they idolise their defenders. So he's a he's a real top-class player. Uh, Son Heung-min, obviously, again, not telling anybody anything they don't know, but he's a formidable player, and he's come back to his level after a difficult 2022-23 with Tottenham. He now seems to have he's flourished even more now that Harry Kane has left mm. Tottenham and taken even more on his shoulders. Mm. And he's, he's been scoring goals for South Korea as well. He scored two goals in China in a World Cup qualified, and he? And I think they just, I think they're running hot at the right time. Um, and they, they've got quality throughout the side. They've got Huang, who has been scoring goals in the Premier League as well. Uh, plenty of other good attacking players. Lee Kang-in, although I know he was sent off in a friendly with Iraq, uh, that they just scraped through. Um, so the only question mark there is a the manager. Jurgen Klinsmann is not proven as a as a manager necessarily. Yeah. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, he, he's probably got a point to prove uh, and had a difficult start in the job. But I'd say I think they're coming into form at the right time. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they end up playing Japan in the final, actually. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think after the disappointment four years ago when they were beaten in the quarterfinal, weren't they, surprisingly, by Qatar, I'll say I'll say South Korea. There's a, a long answer to what should have been two words. South Korea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul, thank you very much for joining us here on our Asian Cup preview. Uh, where can the people get in touch with you? Uh, I am at paul.mcnamara at scmp.com. So I've given you my full uh, email address there. Yeah. Uh, but always, always happy to receive emails, uh, especially the nice ones. And at McNamara underscore SCMP. Fantastic. Uh, Thank on. you very much for joining us. And uh, all the best to Hong Kong and yourself over there in Qatar. Been an absolute pleasure, guys. Really enjoyed talking to you. Welcome again back to the back peg for a second time for his expertise in jet well things Japanese football is our go-to guy, Sean Carroll. Sean, welcome back to the back peg. Thank you very much for having me again. It's been a while. Jeez, it's been a flash, really. I mean, it's what been about uh, fourteen months. I make it from just before the last ah. World Cup, and now going into the Asian Cup. Time flies. Yeah, football football doesn't stop though, does it? The World Cup. Then we had the J League. It seems like the J League just finished, and uh, now here we go again, another tournament. And then once that's done, the J League starts up again. So uh, no rest for the wicked. Indeed, indeed. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> oh, God, I would. I would. <laughs> so, Sean, uh, the Asian Cup in Qatar mm. coming up. Yes. Group D, yes. Japan. Mm -hmm. What have you? What do you make of Japan's chances this time around? I mean, I mean, the group, they, they have to go through. You just shoot top. I mean, it's going to have to be some kind of catastrophe if they don't make it through the group um, as good as they are now. Um, how far they can go after that has always depends, 
so much depends on the draw and who they get in the next rounds. Obviously, it's kind of confusing to even work out a route with the competition now being 24 teams and you don't know who's going to go through in third and all these kind of things. Um, but, uh, you know, there's probably half a dozen teams or so that you would say could beat Japan on their day. Um, and as always with these tournaments, you know, so much of it is is the mood the team's in at the point. If they won all three of their group games, confidence is high, players are doing well, then the spirit in the team is obviously good. If they've struggled a bit, you know, on their day, uh, we saw it in 2015, they lost to, to UAE on in the quarterfinals on penalties. Um, and the players spoke about it at the last Asian Cup too. But, you know, I think they kind of thought once they got to the final that that they had as good as won it and Qatar burst out of the traps and, and surprised them. And then that was it. They couldn't, couldn't find a way back in. So you never know really until until the games come around. So so once they get to the knockout round, obviously, um, it's all a bit up in the air. But coming into the tournament, yeah, you'd have to say, I mean, Japan at the moment are probably the best team in Asia. They're individually they've got so much talent even you know there's players that haven't made it into the squad or are probably going to be you know on the bench in the squad even in their they're not in their best 11 who are who are doing really good things in in Europe at the moment um so yeah on paper and you know in recent form Japan come into the top competition as as the favorites I think yeah and is that expectation the same in on the ground in Japan is it the case that Japan are expected to go very deep and win this tournament after a disappointing 2019 in the final. Is it win or bust? Um, I don't know if it's if it's win or bust. Um, obviously, yeah, the, the expectation is you know that the team should be should be putting up a good challenge to get to the final. You know, if they were to lose in the semi-finals against South Korea, against Iran, against Australia, I don't think there's going to be a huge fallout. There's not going to be calling for the for the manager's head or anything like that um obviously you know as i said if they weren't to get through the group there would be some serious soul searching required uh even round of 16 quarterfinals depending on on who they were to lose to it would obviously be huge disappointment based on the fact that Hajime Moriyasu the manager has has been talking this tournament up as well as like it's not just you know, obviously they want to win the asian cup they haven't won it since 2011 when they beat uh, somebody in the final i can't remember now it was a long long time ago um so they want to win the competition but he set it up as you know they want to win this in order to use it as preparation towards the next world cup they they made a lot of headlines in 2022 obviously um, by beating Spain and Germany in the group. Um, the, the approach to that game, the way they played maybe wasn't hugely um, uh, exciting. They kind of sat very, very deep and maybe didn't play to their strengths for at least the first half of both those games. Um, and I think Moriyasu obviously wants wants them to build on that, not just have those games to look back on in years to come, as you remember when we did that, but he wants them to be building building blocks and I think he's the way he's talking about the Asian Cup is that he sees that as another one he wants the team to to gain more experience of obviously winning games at these competitions but how to manage the flow of the competition how to use the whole squad how to keep people motivated and fit and all those things that um, as I kind of touched upon before you know you you can't really um, create that kind of environment other than at competitions like this so I think he's now seeing this is the chance lots of the players in this squad um, well, not lots of the players. Lots of the players that were in that World Cup squad are now not involved in this one. It's kind of again, he's refreshing the the squad, bringing in different players, um, and I think that's obviously with a view to getting them ready for twenty twenty six and trying to get the team finally to to push on past the round of sixteen at the World Cup and 
and sort of mixing it with the really big boys in the in the quarterfinals and hopefully further. You mentioned that there are players that won't be there this time around, about you know, 13 or 14 months after the, the last World Cup. What is the difference between that squad and this squad? Like where has the squad improved? Where are there potential weaknesses in the squad? What do you see the differences between the two squads? In terms of differences, you, you've lost um, experience to an extent in terms of age. Players like Maya Yoshida, Yuta Nagatoma are no, are no more. Um, and that tends to be how, how things kind of work in, in Japan. I guess for a lot of countries too, you kind mm. of see World Cups as a kind of end point players themselves coaches themselves they build up to that and then once the world cup i mean neither of yoshida or nagatomo to my knowledge have actually officially announced that they've retired from national team but it just seemed to be a sort of matter of course that now this new generation of players are taking over um and i i sort of hesitated to say le- less experience because you've got the likes of takihiro tomiyasu wataru endo now who who are obviously younger but They've been playing for Japan now for quite a while. They've been playing in Europe as well for quite a while. Obviously, now the pair of them are playing for for two of the biggest teams in the Premier League, but they've mm. been in Europe and in, in Italy and Germany as well, playing prior to that. Mm. So they've been playing against top top players in Europe for a long time now. So and they've obviously been involved in the the last Asian Cup. They're involved at the World Cup as well. Um in terms of where Japan's better. I think partly having players like that pair, like Kaori Mitoma, like Takefu Sakubo, who are not just playing in Europe now, but they're playing important roles for big teams in Europe. So the players themselves have, have built up, I think, an extra level of confidence. They see themselves now as players of that caliber rather than what has maybe been the case for Japan until fairly recently, where they still look at themselves as being slightly below that highest level and feeling like they still need to improve. I think now they start to feel they belong at that level. Um, and we've seen that a bit, I guess. I mean, it's hard always to tell with friendlies and mm. like the first round of World Cup qualifiers, the, the level of opponent and the motivation of opponent. But, but the way Japan have been swatting teams aside, winning by multiple goals, shows that level of almost arrogance now that's, that's coming into the team. Um, and it means that you've got so many players. I mean, Takumi Minamino has been in and out of form. He's now basically an option off the bench. Mitsudoan is an option off the bench as well. Dai Kamada, who was sort of start, starting every game at the World Cup, didn't even make the squad this time. Uh, Kyogo Furuhashi, who's obviously scoring for fun in, in Scotland for Celtic, has never really been able to, to click in this Japan team. He's missed out as well. Um, so there's a lot of depth now in the squad. There, there's players that have proven it. Even the likes of sort of Takuma Asano, who's never been especially popular here, not the most um, sort of sexy player up front, it has been efficient for Japan. When he's when they've needed goals, he's come up. Ayase Ueda now has been doing well in, in Europe as well and looks probably like he'll be the first choice up front. So there, there's so many options now for the team going forward um, that, especially in the group stage, if Japan can get a comfortable win against Vietnam in the first game, Moriyasu will then be able to to rotate a bit, make sure players are kept fresh. Obviously, the likes of Mitomaro are currently injured. Um, Roberto De Zerbi's tried to tried his best to to stop him from going by saying he wasn't going to be fit. Japan kind of called their bluff and have called him up anyway. So you know, if you can keep Mitoma 
fresh on the bench or not even in the squad for the first three group stage games yeah. and bring him in, in in a fortnight from the knockout rounds fresh. Tommy Yasu obviously has had injury doubts too. He's in the squad. He's just come back for Arsenal. Mm. They'll need to manage that. Same for Koi Takura. So there's little sort of niggly doubts of that kind. But there's there's players in the squad that, especially in the group stage, I think can can come in and, and maintain the levels that Japan need for them. I mean, they beat Thailand on New Year's Day with... Ugh, I hesitate to really even call it a B team. I suppose it was a B team, but yeah, lots of the key players weren't involved. So mm. they, they've got that depth now. So um, in terms of weaknesses, I guess there is that maybe the sort of lack of, of cohesion that when you had Yoshida and Nagatomo, these players that had literally played together for a decade, where they just know how each other play, where where each other is going to be, what they're doing almost instinctively. You know, there's it's still a, a a reasonably young team in that respect. Players are still getting to know each other. And the, the back four certainly, I wouldn't say is is definitely set yet in terms of personnel. Moriyasu is still tinkering a bit. So there 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 are ways that Japan could be got at. Um, and obviously, if there were to be injuries to to key players, you know, if Kubo or Mitoma did miss out, if if um, Tommy Yasu was to get injured again. Maybe over the course of the whole tournament, it would it would lessen their chances. But I think sort of on a game to game basis, they certainly early on in the group stage round of sixteen, they they have more than enough in the in the squad to to be progressing. And Sean, who do you see as the main competitors for Japan to take the whole thing out? Who poses the biggest threat? Is it South Korea with Hyungmin Son? Is it the Socceroos? Is it the hosts? Um... <sighs> It's a difficult question. I think. I think again, it depends so much on on how the two teams go into the match on that day. You know how how much confidence they've got. You know in terms of injuries, in terms of which players are in form. Yeah, I mean, if you're assuming that that both teams are, are fully fit, both been doing well, both got through the group stage with maximum points and things, and are flying, Japan could easily lose to to Korea on their day. They could easily mm-hmm. lose to Australia. Um, Iran as well, Saudi Arabia, slightly more of an unknown quantity. You never quite know. They do tend to be quite up and down, um, more in a kind of in a mental sense. I think we saw at the World Cup they they beat Argentina in the first game. Were flying. It looked like well, that's it. Now they should be getting through the group, and then they weren't able to uh, to almost stay calm enough in the, the subsequent few games to then see the job through. They were still buzzing so much from beating Argentina that they weren't able to then reset and focus on beating the team in front of them. So Saudi Arabia, obviously they've brought in a big name coach and you know, we know from from the the Champions League and things that mm. a lot of Saudi Arabia, a lot of talent in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um and again, on their day they absolutely could, but I think maybe depending at the, the point of the tournament that they met, um perhaps uh the pressure, the the atmosphere, you know, it happens so much again in the ACL. Saudi Arabian players tend to lose their heads in the heat of the moment. And I think Japanese players are just yeah, generally less likely to do that, more capable of just forgetting the environment and playing the game that they need to play. Um, and Qatar, I, I don't know too much, to be honest, about the, the state they're in now. I know that they've obviously changed manager recently as well. Um, and I just wonder perhaps if, you know, they, everything was geared for the Qatar towards building towards 2022 to, mm. to not being embarrassed at that World Cup. Um, they spent a decade, probably more, building the, the football infrastructure, building from the youth, building that team almost from from their teens up to that tournament with you know playing with each other. 
Um, and as part of that, obviously winning the Asian Cup last time, especially being able to do it in UAE, where you know they yeah. were hugely motivated <laughs> right. to do it um, in their in their neighbor's backyard. Um, and then for the World Cup to have gone as poorly as it did mm. for them football wise, maybe was um, maybe it's kind of deflated everything. Um, so I don't think, yeah, football wise, they're maybe at the same level and perhaps just psychologically they were building up for so long towards the World Cup and for it to have gone that badly, maybe just everything now, maybe they're still kind of having a bit of a hangover from that. So, I, yeah, I don't I don't think they'll be quite as good. But um, again, you can never, I mean, yeah, Australia in 2015 had the sort of the home support and it really does add something. It does give you a bit of an extra boost. It keeps keeps the players motivated. Um, mm. So you can never completely write it off. Japan had it obviously in 2002 at the World Cup as well, as did Korea. Mm. You do tend to see it gives the gives you a little bit of a boost, but whether it will be quite enough now for Qatar to do as well as they did last time, when you've got teams of the quality of Japan, Australia, South Korea, Iran, um, and even sort of second-ranked teams that may be coming up, Uzbekistan, UAE now have brought in Paolo Bento, who did well with Korea before, and he seems to be... Sort of straightening things out a little bit with them. They were another team who a decade ago looked like they were about to move up and they sort of fizzled out. So I would probably put Qatar now back down on, on that level where yeah. quarterfinals maybe um, could be their limit, yeah. Look, if Australia, Japan, Saudi Arabia go ahead and win their groups as we expect, right, you're looking at amazing quarterfinal side of that draw. It's Ridiculous, actually, when you look at it in context of the Asian Cup. You're looking at a potential UAE-Japan quarterfinal, Saudi Arabia-Australia quarterfinal. You know, it's whilst the other side of the draw, you you know, your standouts are probably Iran and, you know, Iran, Korea, and that's it, really. Mm. I mean, you know, Qatar and Uzbekistan, like you mentioned there, Sean, yeah, maybe a rung below. But this side of the draw, like where Australia, Japan and Saudi Arabia are, is just so intriguing. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, but, but that's kind of what you want, isn't it? You yeah, want, absolutely. Um, you want these teams to be playing mm. against each other. You want that challenge mm. of, you know, if you're going to win a competition, you know at some point you're going to need to beat right. probably at least two of these big big nations right. in it. Once you get to the final, you know there's going to be one. Semi-final, almost certainly, and even quarter-final, like, you know that's going to be happening at some point. Um, and it's sort of linked in with what I point I touched upon before. I think Moriyasu wants his players to be getting more experience of that that level of pressure. You know, World Cup qualifiers mm. are becoming increasingly straightforward for yeah. for the bigger nations. Yeah, with mm. with more places now available. Um, and obviously the disparity in quality. You know, so many of the Japanese squad now play in Europe, mm. and the level of the J League is, I think. It's still incredibly high. So even players in the J League are, I think, at a vastly higher level than than a lot of other Asian Asian nations. Um, and even though it was an incredibly complicated uh, when it came to the last match day for the ACL recently, I actually quite liked the fact that every game mattered. You had fewer teams going through. Yeah. Usually, when it's like top two go through, bottom two go out, you have the Japanese and the Korean or the Japanese and Australian teams. Mm secure their passage after like four games mm. and in the last game or two is just there's nothing on it whereas even you know Van Forde Kofu I think had only lost once but they still needed to get something away to bully them on their last game yeah. Yokohama if Marinos had the same thing where or they, they'd done badly in a couple of games against um, Inchon but mm. 
the last day, they still had to win on the last day. And it, I mean, obviously for fans watching it, it makes games more interesting. And for the players too, you know, as much as they say they approach every game the same and they're always motivated, you're not. You can't be. You're not human if, if you're going into games, right. treating them all the same. You know, yeah. if you need to win 3-0 and you, you've already through, and then you, you're treating them differently. So I think for the players too, you know, they... They want to be going out and having to play against Iran in the quarterfinals and Australia in the semifinals. You want those challenges as a player to be to be improving, to be to be playing at the highest level, rather than perhaps playing against a lower ranked team and and knowing well, we should win this. Nine, 99 times out of hundred, we're going to win this game. We just need to make sure we do the bare minimum um, because you know once once you get to the World Cup you need to be on it every single game. Um, Japan beat Spain and Germany, but they lost to, to Costa Rica because yeah. they may be like, similar to Saudi Arabia with Argentina, maybe was still so so high from the first the first victory. They just weren't able to to manage it. So I think, yeah, the more opportunities you get to to play those kind of games where there is pressure, where you are playing against a team that if you're not at your very best, you will lose, um, is can only be good for for the players obviously in that on that day but you know looking further ahead for their development as players and as, and as a, a team looking ahead to the world cup um and you know they, obviously it's, it's not all for the players it's not all just about looking ahead to 2026 like they're they're playing for their country at the asian cup they want to win a medal they want to look back on that in 5 10 20 50 years and that's that's something tangible that they've achieved um, you know, Tadanari Lee scored the winner against Australia, just retired from playing this year. Um, you know, it's still something that he is able to look back on at that point in his career. I mean, he didn't really play much in the mm. rest of that tournament. He was kind of a fringe player, but he's yeah. now got that moment and that medal that he can always look back on. Every time the Asian Cup rolls around, you see him popping up in media and, you know, doing bits and pieces. And so, uh, you know, for the players, it's not just about what this means looking further ahead but it's also something that that they could win this is why they started playing football as kids because you want to win stuff you want to pick up medals and you want to you want to do your best and, and get things to look back on for sure just remembered it was japan who defeated australia in 2011 in the final <laughs> you only just got that sorry i just I got it now i thought it. bloody hell he's just mentioned it <laughs> i thought hey no, maybe he's had a he's, Great dig, I have to say. Fantastic dig, Sean. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if you were just really upset. That's why you didn't no, see the no, like, Oh, God, it's still, mate, it's, it's still it's, raw. No, you know, no, it was too no, soon, no. but you never know. I know no. you Aussies are very competitive. We, we are, but, you know, it's, summer, it's uh, summer holidays here at the moment, so we're just, you know, hey, <laughs> just having a chill vibe at the moment. I thought, oh, hang on. And and that's, yeah, it just dawned on me then. I mean, as soon as you said the goal scorer's name, I thought, bloody hell, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy. Uh, crazy, that was 12 years ago. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, 13, mm, 13 yeah. years 13 ago. 13 years ago, yeah, That's yeah. Christ, yeah. No wonder why I can't close. remember it. No wonder why I <laughs> yeah, couldn't yeah. remember it. I mean, pick up on it. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Sean, I'd like to zoom out with the Asian Cup a little bit now. Uh, this mm -hmm. is the second of three in a row that are going to be in West Asia. We had the UAE yeah. in 2019, Qatar 23, and it's going to be Saudi Arabia in 27. Combine that with Qatar 2011 and before out of the last five in West Asia. Uh -huh. Is there a bit of a sense of pushback from the likes of Japan that there's a bit of a sense of West Asia exerting dominance in the Confederation? Um, yes, I, I suppose there is to an extent. Um, but there's also a kind of resignation that you can't really do anything about it. <laughs> um, 
the AFC, as with FIFA, as with the Premier League, as with any league, as with any organization, will go where the money is. I mean, Japan had that to an extent um, with the 90s and into the 2000s. They had the World Cup in 2002 mm. because the money was in Japan at that time. Japanese companies were the ones throwing money around. It's why the Club World Cup was here until around about a decade ago because Toyota and, and companies like that used to put up the money to bring it. You know, it wasn't as much as FIFA will talk about wanting to send the game to the world and stuff. There's a reason that they're going to the Middle East now and they weren't doing it 20, 30 years ago. There's a reason they're going to the Middle East and not Central America or East Africa or, you know, there's, there's plenty of places in the world that there's a huge passion for football but there's not a huge amount of money in those places that they want to spend on football um so yeah i think it's more resignation and kind of eye rolling of like well here we go again um yeah i mean for me personally as a freelancer i i've covered the last two asian cups on the ground but this time it was just i can't <laughs> it's too expensive it's mm. too time consuming mm. it would mean giving up other regular work to travel yeah. all the way over there cost of accommodation and everything yeah. else it just wasn't feasible um mm. obviously it was supposed to be in china yes, um, that's right. when when china had the money and was looking like that was going to be the new sort of center of of the football universe um and then with covid and everything else that that didn't happen if it had been in china i probably would have um just you know selfishly personally just based geograph geographically where i am it would have mm. been easier for me to to cover the tournament there so there are certainly, you know, journalist friends I know who've just said they can't, they can't justify another four or five, six weeks in the Middle East, following yeah. on just from the World Cup mm-hmm. there in 2022. Yeah. Um, so it is, yeah, to an extent it's frustrating because, you know, in a, in a utopian, in an ideal world, it would be nice if things were just shared around when it was, you know, when east west central east west central whatever and the world cup mm. did just kind of go around um as it used to between the different confederations but it's um as many issues as there are now with the the way saudi arabia is is flexing its financial muscles in various aspects of football it's really nothing new it hasn't always happened there's a reason the premier league is is the biggest most popular league in the world and it isn't just because it's in England, and that's where football, in a sense, mm. you know, it's arguable. But we're in the centre where it started, and with the history of the clubs and the names and everything, it was money. If they, you know, in the ninety, in the late eighties, early nineties, it was Italy was was a sort of peak of European football. Um, but the Premier League managed itself well, dealt with the commercial side so well, was able to attract players from all over the world, which then means you bring eyeballs from all over the world, which means you get sponsors, you get broadcasting rights, and they've managed to, to keep that snowballing. Um, so it, it's quite funny seeing the the indignation of, of people on Sky Sports or, or big Premier League clubs complaining about what the Saudi clubs are doing because it's no different to what they're doing. Um, but at the same time, you know, you... you, you you certainly have to take a few pinches of salt when mm. players that are going to play in Saudi Arabia say it's about the challenge and about growing the game. Because yeah. again, they could grow grow the game in Cambodia or Djibouti or any number of places they could they could do that, but they're not being offered huge sacks of gold there. So correct. It's yeah, it's you know, you it's not all bad because it happens everywhere, but there is an element I think now of just sort of yeah. Acceptance, there, isn't it? just like yeah, yeah acceptance yeah. that is happening, oh. but but you know what what can really be done about it um, mm. aside from 
finding some oil or something in a <laughs> That's right. in Osaka. Yeah. Yeah. Or um yeah. Look, with time, the power, not that the you know, where the money is, obviously the power will be, but obviously they'll want to throw a bone to East Asia and say, Hey, okay, well, it's your turn to to host something because we mm. are sick of hosting it in the Middle East the whole time. So um, you know, well, you'd, that, yeah, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? You'd hope that's so. right. That's mm. that's going to be about twenty years away when they finish. The, you know, with the twenty thirty four World well, exactly, Cup. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Once yeah, once Saudi Arabia is done with the World Cup, mm. uh, maybe maybe yeah, something yeah. will start coming back here. Um, even if Japan had the Asian Cup, yeah, I don't think it's had it since ninety two. I think it was. Wow. Okay. Something yeah, like that. Ninety two. And yeah. I, I had a look. South Korea have only hosted it once, and that was back in nineteen sixty. There you go. Nineteen sixty. Wow. Mm. There you go. So they're long overdue. Yeah. Mm. No, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. I mean, they're in, considering they're a football powerhouse of, of the Confederation. Mm. So, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Sean, Sean, winner, overall winner. Time to put make the bold and fearless prediction that Japan are going to win the Asian Cup or um, someone else. I'm going to say. Oh, he's thinking about it, Nathan. Hang on. He's thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting I'll a quick answer. I was expecting a very quick <laughs> no, answer, no. too. I thought unequivocally it'd be Japan, but here we go. No, no. I've, well, I just think it's it's so difficult to to get to a final two tournaments mm. in a row. There's so many aspects come into it. You know, again, on paper they're the best. I think, um, in terms of the the quality in the squad, the number of players that can can win the game on the day. I think Japan. I just hesitated because they got to the final last time. There are so many other good teams, and as you mentioned, the, the side of the draw is not mm. straightforward. There's a couple of teams that they could quite easily lose to quarter or semi-finals, um, but you know, I think I should be I should be positive as the Japanese rep here on the back page. So I'll go Japan. I'll say Japan are gonna do it. Um just about. Just about they'll do it. Yeah. And who do they play in the final, do you think? Oh God, I haven't looked at the bracket that closely. Okay. Um let's say so you said South Korea and or Korea who's, Iran who's on... and Qatar are on that side, on the other side. Korea, Iran, Qatar. So they'll beat Korea in the semi final on penalties. And then in the final, they will play. I reckon Japan will beat let's Australia. Go Australia. That's going to say. Or Saudi. Gonna say, let's or Saudi. Go right in the I final. In the semi. I think Korea might get, actually get on to the final on the other side. From the other side. I. Oh, so you. Th- so you think it's going to be a Korea Japan Korea final. final? No, I think it's oh, Japan Korea. Korea. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I've just given a spoiler, but yeah. Yep. That, I'm, pick, I'm picking Japan. That, that would be that would be huge. I reckon I'll go. Japan against Australia. Oh, okay. All right. I All think right. that could happen. I think I think Saudi, there's just yeah. I'll take it. I think there's too much. You know, Mancini's a, a bit of a fiery character as well. I can just see them kind of imploding at some point and, mm. and blaming a ref or blaming something. There will be something that happens. Fair enough. They won't quite make it. Um and Japan will be career on penalties in the semi and then yeah, Japan Australia final. Uh, okay. why not? Re- rematch of uh, of right. 2011. There you go. There you go. Fantastic. Uh, Sean, where can uh, people get in contact with you? Um, if they're going to say nice things, they can contact me on Twitter. If they're not, don't bother. Yeah, they can find me on Twitter. S E A N K Y A R O R U. Sean Kyaroru is how you say my name in Japanese. So that's me on Twitter. Yeah. And I finally, I think I mentioned last month, and I finally published my book. In English at the end of last year. So oh, wonderful. Oh, great. Can, Fantastic. Uh, what's, the, what's the name of that book? Uh, it's called Between the Lines, Navigating the World of Japanese Football. So you can find an ebook 
on Amazon and Google Play and all those places. Awesome. Um, and I've got a few I've got a few hard copies left or paperback yep. copies. So if they awesome. want one, they can uh, find the link on um on my Twitter and send me an email and I'll uh I'll get one packed up and, and sent over to them. Brilliant. Sean reading ahead of yep. the Asian Cup. Sounds good. Sounds good. Sean, thank you very much again for your time from joining Not us so. from Japan and uh, look forward to talking again at some point in the near future. Yeah, hope so just before the final between Japan and Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again, Sean. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Time to talk about Group E at this Asian Cup preview. And Group E consists of South Korea, Bahrain, Jordan and Malaysia. It's an absolute pleasure to be joined by Managing Editor for K-League in English, uh, Paul Need. Paul, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you. And Paul, let's get straight into it. What is the feeling surrounding the South Korean national team coming into this tournament? I think there's a little bit of um, sort of confidence. Um, you know, the under Jurgen Klinsmann, it didn't start too great. You know, it took him quite a while to get his first win. But I think, you know, they're on this decent run now. I know most of it have been friendly games, but they haven't conceded a goal in like six or seven matches and they've scored quite a few. So I think there's a little bit of confidence, a little bit of uh sort of uh, expectation that, that uh, Korea might do quite well in this uh, in this Asian Cup. Well, what do you think has been the biggest difference between the Paolo Bento coached side and Jurgen Klinsmann's side? Um, well, Bento was all about sort of possession-based football and slow, not slow build-up, but more methodical build-up. Klinsmann seems to be a little bit more direct. Um, and he's, I think most of the differences have been with the, the personnel because you know, only 14 players that are in this squad for the Asian Cup went to the World Cup. You know, it's only a year ago. Yeah. Um, some players are forced because obviously Huang Yijou and um, Son Junho, they're, they're, they're out because of their sort of unique sort of personal circumstances. Uh, Huang Yijou was under, under investigation for sexual misconduct and was, a bit, and was sort of n- not banned from the national team, but unable for selection. Mm. Son Junho, obviously, he's, he's sort of stuck in China at the moment for match fixing, match match fixing allegations. So he, that's a bit different. But some of the players that uh, play quite regularly in the World Cup or play, or you know, sort of featured quite a lot for for South Korea, Nasang Ho, the, the left winger, not even in the squad. He had a quite a good season for FC Seoul. Peck Sung Ho as well. He scored that goal against Brazil in the in the round of sixteen. He's not in there in there either. So obviously this this Asian Cups come quite early into Jürgen Klinsmann's time as manager of South Korea, but already he's sort of trying to phase out some of the old guard or, or get his get his players in. Um, and yeah, I think so far it's been, it's obviously, like I said, said earlier, it started off quite slow, but it's got a lot better. And yeah, he looks to be playing a little bit better football than what we, I think, people had, had expected from him. So then is this tournament sort of posed as a transition tournament with a view to 26 World Cup? Is it... Still, does he still have the pressure on his shoulders, Jurgen Klinsmann, to deliver uh, something serious for this Korean team? Which I think, yes, they reach the pointy end of tournaments fairly regularly in Asia, but uh, no gold medal, so to speak, since 1960. Uh, so I suppose it might be a little harsh to call them underachievers, but for a team like Korea, surely should be expecting more regular championships than what we've seen. Yeah, for sure. They finished runner-up four times since they won it, obviously, the most recent in, in 2015 when they lost to Australia. But, mm. I mean, Jürgen Klinsmann has has made no secret that, that he's aiming to win this. 
Asian Cup. You know, he said it a few times. He said it when he first came that, you know, that, that's the aim. He's addressed the situation sort of, you know, that it has been a long, long time since Korea did win the Asian Cup. So there's expectation, there's a little bit of pressure, but he's talked about it himself. You know, he's made no secret. And that, and that should be the aim for any manager of South Korea to come in and, and be, well, why can't we try and win the Asian Cup? You know, they are one of the biggest and uh, strongest footballing nations in the region, certainly in East Asia. So, yeah, why not? Um, I think in terms of what be a minimum would be probably the semi-finals. Um, it obviously depends, I think, on whether they can avoid Japan and how long they can avoid playing against Japan. I think it works out that if, if both... Japan and Korea win their groups. They will avoid each other, um, mm. perhaps until until the final. So that'll be about it. I think more about instead of the manager. I think it's more about the players and their sort of mental strength and character. Um, they've had issues in in the past with breaking teams down who sort of sit back. So in the group stage, that might be a bit of an issue. It shouldn't be a problem. They, I mean, they they should get through the group stage with with sort of very little issues there. It's. I think when it gets to the sort of latest sort of areas of the tournament, the courses, perhaps if they have the mental strength to um, sort of get through and, and and sort of win ugly, you know, they have been a little bit mm. naive. You know what I mean? They, they they can be a bit too nice. You know, like if you go back to the World Cup last year or the year before, I, sh- I should say that game against Brazil. Brazil, you know, they didn't really acquit themselves quite as well that they ought to have done. You know, they just they seemed overawed. I know it's Brazil. Yeah. They got knocked out in the next round anyway, you know. So it, you know mm. they didn't even go on and win the tournament. So they just, if if they can just be confident in themselves and have that mental strength to really sort of assert themselves on the game, mm. they they should do well. It's interesting you mentioned that the occasion more than likely got to them, or the actual nature of the opponent got to them in the last World Cup, which you say it's twenty twenty two. It's it was only what thirteen months ago or fourteen months ago. Best part of right. Um, is it the case that they they tend to play think scenarios in their minds and, and that's why they they've always fallen short? What does what do the Koreans attribute that that sense of uh, you know always it being the bridesmaid effectively? I mean, it could yeah. I mean, I think it also it could be that the squad they've got now is probably the best they've had in a very very long time. Certainly, uh, maybe even of all time because in, in terms of who they've got playing in major leagues around the world. They've never yeah. had two players scoring regularly in the Premier League like they have with Son mm. and Hwang Yee Chan. That's right. They've got Lee Gang In playing well for, for Paris Saint-Germain, obviously, and Kim and Jay, who's just won, well, he won the Italian Serie A title, and then now he's a first choice for Bayern Munich. So they, they, they have all the tools that they need. And I think what will help them compared to the Asian Cups in the past is that it was all about Son, and Son will sometimes mm. get double marked. Yeah. But you can't double mark him and Igang in, you know? So if one of them is sort of uh, kept quiet the other, then it's their, it's, it's sort of their chance to sort of step up and, and sort of take control. It's not just a one-man team nowadays. Not that it was so much in the past, but I think if you nullified Son, then it became it became an issue as to where the creativity and the goals and the assists are going, are going to going to come from. This time around, I think it might be a bit different. Yeah, and the prospect of Jung-Min Son, Wang Yi-Chan and Lee Kang-In is a, a very exciting attacking unit for Korea, probably among the, the best, if not the best, at the whole tournament. My question sort of in the midfield, is there the same sort of quality 
not necessarily just in terms of where they play also, but in the build-up of the team? Is it really, is it functional or is there a bit more to it than just being functional? The midfield's a little bit transitional because they've phased out Jong Yong, uh, who is, I think he plays in Qatar. He's, he's had his time now and they're looking for somebody else to be that other DM mm. alongside Huang Inbom. Now, Huang Inbom's had a bit of an interesting and sort of nomadic a career in the last few years, having you know come back to Korea, then he went over to Greece. He was in Russia before that. Now he's in Serbia, and he's not really progressed. I don't think is the way that people here had hoped. Um, but alongside him, he plays al- alongside him has been a bit of an issue. Son Jun Ho would would be the guy, but obviously he can't. So they brought through a guy called uh, Pak Yong Woo, who's he was at Ulsan until fairly recently. Now he's playing in Qatar, I think, and. Um, He's just a bit too slow, you know. It, it's 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 too slow in in getting the ball and spraying it out wide. He doesn't quite have that long range passing ability to some other players. They've also got Hong Hyun Sok from Ghent in there, who's just sort of broken into the team. So there's players in there who haven't really got big tournament experience yet, you know, and they're sort mm. of trying to feel the way through and and get and get used to what it's like playing at this level. Um, so that would be the sort of weakness I would I would say in the squad, not necessarily because of the, they haven't got the right players, but because of they haven't got the, the sort of right experience. Um, another guy who's just come through had a really interesting story with him is Pak Jin Sop, who plays for John Book. He was playing in the third tier of Korean football not so long ago, so not even fully professional. Then he went to Daejeon, did well there in the second division, and then John Book bought him, won the FA Cup uh, in 2022. And then he was one of the wild cards for the Asian Games just uh, in September last year. Um, and because there is a, a little bit of a, a... They are lacking in in that kind of midfielder who can sort of do a bit of everything. They brought him through. So maybe he'll get a chance to, to play. But like Jürgen Klinsmann, a bit like Paolo Bento before him, he doesn't seem too willing to try things. He's like, OK, I've got my, an idea in my head of my eleven. And this is who's going to play. All right, he did make he did make a few changes to, to the team in that friendly against Iraq, uh, mm. at, you know, at the weekend just mm. just before. So, but the fact that they won just one nil suggests yeah. that I don't think the players who did play in, in that game really did too much to uh, sort of stake a claim to start for him. So, yeah, who who plays alongside Huang Inbom as a DM? Assume that it is a four two three one. Will be interesting to see. Um, and then in midfield, yeah, if 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 you don't want to play. Peck Sung Ho, if you don't want to pick him in the squad just in general, yeah, who who does play in that central midfield role to get sort of box to box? Those are the areas that I think are a little bit, that there are question marks. I was going to ask you, Paul. Uh, so the formation is more than likely going to be 4 2 3 1 from what you know we've read and, and, and seen. Um, what if you were the manager instead of Jurgen Klinsman and you were playing that formation, who would your 11 be? Oh, um, well, the back four probably. Probably picks itself. Um, yep. Kim Sung Gyu in, in goal as a goalkeeper because he's you know he's just very very solid, a good a good yep. all rounder, good with the ball, his feet as well. More more importantly, mm-hmm. uh, right back So Yong Woo, he's sort of um, broken into the team over the last couple of years. Uh, he can play e- either side. He plays either side for Ulsan, but he can, mm. I think right back is probably his best spot. Kim Min Jae obviously alongside him, I would go with Kim Young Guan. Um, mm-hmm. Who has kind of fallen out of favour? It, it, it seems like Jung Sung Hyun has been the, the preferred choice for Jurgen Klinsmann, but I go with Kim Young Guan. Left back, 
Kim Jin Soo is who I'd pick, but I think Klinsman will go with Iki J, who was at the uh, Newcastle Jets uh, yep. a few, well, quite quite a few seasons ago now. Um, then it'd be Park Jin Sop and Huang In Bom as the two DMs, and then the, the the three behind the strike is quite difficult. So Song on the left, Huang Yi Chen on the right, in the middle Yi Gang In, and then the striker, the main striker, probably a Chogu Song with Oh Hyun Gyu to come off the bench. That's who I'd pick. It's a formidable lineup and sure one is. that I think should be pretty uh, good to get through the group unscathed, uh, given the level of opposition. Yes, we're expecting teams to put up a fight, but if South Korea don't come away with three wins, then I think it'd be a little bit of a surprise. Just projecting the knockout stage a little bit, it seems as though if everything goes to plan, which it never does, but let's assume it does, um, Iraq would come second in their group, which is what lines up, I think, and then a quarterfinal against Iran. It's a tough early knockout phase. It is. Yeah, it is. Mm. And Iran aren't quite the, the sort of force that they were four or five years ago. But yeah, again, it, it, it then comes down to how to Korea. The, the, the old question that's sort of plagued this, this South Korea team for six, seven years. How do they break down teams who are difficult and they get, and they get sort of men behind the ball? But like I said, it's a bit different nowadays with, with the different options they've got attacking-wise. You can't just nullify one because you have the others there as well. And I think it bodes well. I don't think you, there's ever been players who are in such good form heading straight into a tournament like mm-hmm. this, as, as, as earlier with Son and, and Huang Yi-chan. So the, the, they'll, be, they'll be confident, I think, if it is Iraq, certainly. Iran, difficult, but I don't think they are quite the force that they were four um, or five years ago. Looking at the group itself couple of West Asian nations in there and Malaysia. So we've got um, Bahrain and Malaysia and Jordan. Do the West Asia do the West Asian nations pose a bit of difficulty to the South Koreans, do you think? Of course, yeah. I mean they're again, it'll be a, a similar story in terms of, you know, getting men behind the ball and trying mm. to pick Korea off on the on the counterattack, you you would think. So it's all about composure, I think, for South Korea, if they can maintain that and not get frustrated. It might take them a while to break them down and get that first goal. But um, it's, 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 uh, it's how they acquit themselves in that, in that regard. Of course, they, you know, teams are going to have a go. And they only just got, just got past Bahrain in the, in the last tournament. It was extra time, I think, in the round yeah. of 16. So absolutely, yeah. Um, they, they definitely cannot go into these three games thinking that, oh, well, we've won these. Yeah. Absolutely not. And I, and I think the manager will, will be saying that to them as well. You know, there's, there's absolutely no room for complacency whatsoever. But, you know, they're, they're a professional bunch. They're, they're all players. You know, there's a, a good core of these players that are playing at, at top, top teams in, in Europe. There won't be any complacency if Son, the captain, has anything to do with it. Well, I'd like to zoom out a little bit this Asian Cup and bring up a topic that we did just speak about with our, our Japanese correspondent. I'd like to pose the same questions to you. Um, with regards to the hostings of this tournament, it's the second of three Asian Cups in West Asia in a row. If you count in Qatar 2011, it's four out of the last five. Is there a bit of a pushback in South Korea with regards to the East-West divide in the AFC? Is there a little bit of a acceptance or is it a bit more of a defiance, so to speak? There's an acceptance just because of the money in the Middle East. You think, ah, well, yeah, of course, uh, you know. I think it was a little bit um, hard to take because when China pulled out of hosting the tournament and Korea put their names forward, 
Mm. There was a belief that, oh, well, there hasn't been in East Asia in such a long time that there was a bit mm. of a belief that, oh, surely this is our time, surely. And then when Qatar got the nod, it was just like, well, surely they could have saved us the effort and the money and the hope as well of being able to host the tournament. Um, so yeah, initially when when it was announced that Qatar were going to host it again, it was like, all right. Now I think it's just a, it's just an acceptance, you know. But this is not the first time because obviously the Asian Champions League was played during the pandemic in Qatar, mm. you know. So it's, it, mm. I think they've got they've got kind of accustomed to it now, haven't we? Where these these tournaments are going to be played in the Middle East. I just hope that if if um, we have had this dominance over the past sort of few tournaments, that surely eventually we are mm. going to get them in Korea or you know mm. Japan or somewhere somewhere in East Asia. Because Korea haven't hosted an Asian Cup since 1960. Yeah. It seems ridiculous. It, it does. And this is why it seemed like it made too much sense for them to host it again. Yeah. You know, after, you know, one East Asia host pulled out, there's one ready to go in. It's yeah. a nice round number, surely. But yeah, it just, for whatever reason, they, they, they picked uh, Qatar. The stadiums are all there. I know that, you know, we saw them there from the World Cup. Um and it's kind of interesting because that World Cup was one that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And it'd be kind of cool to sort of see these same stadiums again and, you know, watch games kind of like a, a winter World Cup as it was. But, yeah, a, a little bit of cynicism, I think. But now there's just that ac- acceptance that, OK, this is, this is just how it goes now. Yeah, And so yeah. off the back of it, is there sort of reluctance for South Korea to put their hand up for 2031 when it rolls around? Yeah, I think what they have to do is be very careful and and look at who else is in the running for it because the fact they've they've been burnt with the World Expo as well because mm. Riyadh were uh, in the running. Obviously, well they they earned the bid and and it's like surely now after losing the or using, losing the Asian Cup and the World Expo, you have to think well next time let's just make sure that that we know for certain and be realistic about it because. There's no point in wasting money and, and, and getting your hopes up and thinking, oh, yeah, well, surely this time it might it might be different. But, yeah, maybe. I think, obviously, it depends who who's in the running for it next time. Yeah, look, you're right there, Paul. It's only a matter of time before some kind of correction or some kind of rebalance happens between, you know, from the West Asian countries to the East Asian countries, even though acknowledging that the money and money normally equates to power is always going to be seated with West Asia at, at present. Um, having Going back to the group itself, three wins, is that what the the expectation is? Yeah, it has to be. Yep, it has to be three up. wins. And, and, they, and they can't afford to finish second yep. and then have the risk of getting knocked out in the round of 16 against Japan. So they have to make sure they win. I think, I think that they will win all three games. Um, I think the first game and how they win if they win and how they win will set the tone for the rest of the, the, the group stage because, you know, you get off to a, a good start and it's a good performance, then obviously it'll breed confidence and hopefully they'll, they'll be able to sort of think, okay, well, th- these are the standards that we've set for ourselves. Now it's time to sort of get, get the rest of the job done. And Paul, uh, what's your tip for uh, who's going to take the whole thing out? Who's going to be lifting the trophy? I, I Japan are the favourites, I think. Um, but I just, I don't know. I'm quietly confident in Korea. I think there's a lot of focus on on Japan and rightly so because of how well they did in the World Cup. But I don't know, Korea might just—I can't say a dark horse because they are one of the favourites. But they, they they might just surprise some people because Jurgen Klinsmann was a bit of a 
interesting choice, let's just say, for, mm-hmm. for manager, maybe a little bit of a, some say a downgrade from Paolo Bento, but he might surprise people. You know, it's it's um he's got everything in, in place there to really have a good go. He's got Charlie Rhee on, on his staff, um, you know, which helps, I think, as a German speaker and a Korean speaker. You know, it, the, these sort of small details can can help. I think I think the final will be Korea against Japan. And then they are, you would say Japan are probably the slightly stronger team. But when it comes to the like a derby between South Korea and Japan, it could go anywhere. You know, as mm. we saw in the um, the Asian Games, it was a bit of a, uh, you know, a tense game and Korea had to come from behind, I think, if I'm probably recall. But um, yeah, anything can happen in, in, in those kind of games. Just going on to back to Klinsman for a second. What was it that led the Korean Football Federation to actually pick Klinsman? Because you're right, it, it did definitely raise an eyebrow. I think they just uh, become obsessed with appointing a name, someone okay. with name value, you know, right. and they and also perhaps because there aren't at the moment any really outstanding Korean coaches that you would think, okay, they are ready, ready made to to go into the, the the national team setup at the moment. There are some good young coaches, but not quite ready to mm. make that jump. Um, so yeah, I think there's a combination of both those two things. Name value. They had Paolo Bento. It obviously worked out. It went quite well for them. And they think, well, we need to get an, another foreign coach. Mm. And um, I forgot the guy's name, Michael something. But there's a, a German guy who's in charge of. Um, he's got some sort of high level role with, with the KFA. So obviously he's probably had some sort of influence in in, in when they went for Jurgen Klinsmann. Very interesting, uh, Paul. Do you also have a uh, a little smoky? the tournament someone who's uh, flying under the radar to really uh, throw a cat amongst the pigeons so to speak um oh good question i don't know actually iraq maybe i mean someone like someone like like that because uh you don't often see iraq as being one of those teams that might have a good goal but i think they'll cause some teams some problems um all depends if they can get out of that group with, mm. with japan but yeah i think iraq they they were pretty solid against korea in that friendly just recently Korea found it quite difficult against them all right it was a rotated team from South Korea but still I think they might try and make the quarters maybe obviously it depends who uh, if, if they do end up playing against South Korea in that round of 16 but um yeah it'll be interesting to see how they do uh Paul we want to thank you for your time uh here on our Asian Cup preview uh, for 2023, even though the tournament's in 24, of course, we all know. Um, <laughs> uh, where can the people find you? Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I uh, enjoyed that. I'm uh, on X, as they call it now, um, which <laughs> at Neat Paul, N-E-A-T. Same on Instagram as well. And uh, I'm also on Adidang News every Monday doing my sports segment. So you can you can catch me at, um, on there at 6 p.m. career time. Fantastic. Thanks again for joining us and uh, best of luck to uh, Korea for the Asian Cup. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks again, Paul. Cheers. Group F in the Asian Cup, Nathan, comprises of Saudi Arabia, Thailand, Oman and Kyrgyzstan. How do you see this group playing out? I think... I was going to say I've got my thoughts with Roberto Mancini coaching the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, but... And we'll talk about yeah. that in in a in a minute or two. We shall, we shall. I'm um, at, at the outset. I'm I'm pretty coy on Roberto Mancini's fortunes with the Saudi Arabian Green Falcons. Um, but talking about this group is uh, it's looks like a relatively weak group. I don't want to be too harsh, but I think Kyrgyzstan, Thailand, Oman. I don't really expect too much from them at this tournament. Obviously, one maybe two of those three will get out of the group. 
Mm-hmm. But I think this looks like a fairly straightforward group for Saudi Arabia. A nice tune-up for them in their own backyard. Um, let's talk about the teams. Kyrgyzstan, who are uh, really one of the, uh, the weaker sides in the tournament overall. But they're on the up-and-up as a country. The last Asian Cup was their first appearance where they actually was able to get out of the group. So maybe they'll be able to uh, repeat the feat. But uh, we shall see. Laz, what do you make of uh, the Omanis and the Thai and the Kyrgyz? Kyrgyz? I don't know what you Kyrgyz call people Kyrgyz Let's escape with <laughs> Forget the demonives. Let's go with countries. <laughs> Laz... The Kyrgyzstanis, that's what they would be called. So okay. uh, Kyrgyzstan were, you know, had a 2-1 win against Vietnam uh, as their last warm-up friendly. So that's their uh, most recent result. Look, you're right. 2022 was not fun for them. No, no, it wasn't. You're no, right. 2023 uh, was not fun for them. Far out. <laughs> <laughs> Last year's 2023. Yes, now. yes. Well, this is the Asian cut, Cup. Cut, this, cut, 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 no, cut. hang on. This is the Asian Cup of 2023, playing, being played yes. in 2024. So <laughs> go figure, right? Yeah. Look, look. Laz, 2023 mm. was not a fun year for the Kyrgyzstanis. No. Um, but I agree with you with regards to the strength of the group. Which group is the stronger? Group F or Group A? I think Group A is stronger. Than this one? Yeah. I think if you swap in Qatar and China for Saudi Arabia in this group, mm-hmm. both of them would win this group fairly easily, as I'm expecting the Saudis to. Okay. I think Oman, yes, will pose the biggest threat uh, to Saudi Arabia, but I'm still expecting three wins. Okay. So do we think Saudi Arabia will finish first, uh, Oman second, Thailand third, and then Kyrgyzstan fourth? Is that what you're uh, thinking? Essentially, is, uh, that's what I'm that's what I'm sitting on at the moment. I I have got Thailand slightly ahead of Kyrgyzstan. Would you uh, would you cons- would could you foresee Thailand finishing in front of Oman? I'm gonna go no. Okay. Fair enough. I'm I'm gonna go no. Look, they, they might surprise. Yeah. But look, they've shown some promise recently, Thailand, picking out wins against Vietnam and Lebanon and uh-huh. Hong Kong and getting draws, getting a draw with Iraq is also Commendable and something to take note of. Maybe they can ruffle a few feathers and uh, sneak into second place. But uh, I think Oman will just be too strong because they they had a good year. They've been in some good form coming into this tournament. I have Saudi Arabia finishing first in this group on three mm. wins myself. I actually have Thailand finishing second. Oh, wow. And I think yep. Oman third and uh, Kyrgyzstan um, in fourth. Very interesting, Laz. What do you make of the Saudis with Roberto, Roberto Mancini? Look, the biggest coaching name at the tournament, I think. By some distance. Right. Um, you know, coached the last European champion nation, uh, even though they that nation did not make it to the last World Cup. But, <laughs> um, you know, did a fairly decent job with Italy, to be fair. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, you look at his time with Italy, and yes, there's that blip with regards to the World Cup, but, geez, I mean, not having qualified for the 2018 World Cup to win the Euros in 2020 or 2021, but it was the 2020 Euros, um, you know, to win that that Euro, um, you know, his coaching pedigree speaks for itself. You know, it's been a success pretty much wherever he's gone. And the fact that um, he's been lured by, Saudi Arabia says a fair bit about um, Saudi Arabia's intentions with regards to football. And obviously we know that, um, you know, they are going to host this same tournament in four years' time or three years' time. Uh, likewise, the 
um, you know, the World Cup in you know in eleven years. They're trying to build some kind of foundation there to obviously try and garner success in one of these major tournaments. I don't know how um, how they're going to go about it as far as you know being a threat to to this particular tournament. I'm reluctant. I think they go. I think they go to the quarterfinals, and I think that's where it ends. Yeah, they're on course to make the Socceroos in the quarterfinal, mm. assuming things go to plan. Right. It's just a, a case of whether they can be uh, dogged and determined to get one over on the Socceroos. The Socceroos have their problems breaking down teams who'd like to sit in. Right. And Saudi Arabia have gotten the better of Australia in recent years. The uh, the recent World Cup qualifying campaign, uh, they were able able to uh, see off the Socceroos over the two legs. Not a tie, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And see, I think the Saudi Arabians have it in them to uh, make a decent run at this tournament. We'll get into our predictions later on, but uh, regular listeners of the pod will know what uh, my thoughts on the Saudi Arabian team are because I brought it up in the past on the back bag. Um, but I, as I said at the start of this little bit, I'm pretty coy on them. I don't think they can win the whole thing because they would beat Japan in the semi-final, and I think Japan is just too strong for pretty much everybody this tournament. Uh, but I think they can get there. The Green Falcons to the semi-final. No, that's that's fair enough. Look, they're three-time winners, right, and three-time runners-up, so they have got pedigree in this tournament. Question as to whether or not they'll, um, you know, they'll go past that stage. Um, mind you, their wins were in the eighty in the in the eighties and nineties, so they yeah. haven't won it since nineteen ninety-six, right? No, and so, twenty nineteen was uh, pretty disappointing. What you can't hold. Uh-huh. Losing to Japan against them too strongly, but Correct. they'll be looking to improve on that at this tournament. And I think they're on course to play Bahrain, perhaps in the round of sixteen. Um, we'll get onto that a little a little uh-huh. bit later, but uh, they should be looking at getting at least to the quarters, I think. And uh, just looking at some of the players, they are relying pretty heavily on uh, Salem Dozeri, who uh, probably is the uh, the standout name for. Uh, for those who aren't that familiar with the national team, they sh- they might know uh, Aldorsery for his exploits at the uh, Qatar World Cup, uh-huh. uh, scoring that wonderful goal against Argentina. Um, but it looks like Mancini's trying to rejuvenate the squad. You mentioned that with the uh, 2027 Asian Cup and the 2034 World Cup on the horizon, if Mancini's there for the long haul, then this is the start of a new yep. cycle yep. for Saudi Arabia. Yep. And maybe he's picked this squad in mind for the next Asian Cup. And World Cup 26. Uh, it's tricky that whether or not this team can get a cohesive unit all together and piece it together relatively quickly for this for this specific tournament. Yeah, yeah. Look, I share your thoughts. Um, I share your thoughts. We'll go through our predictions in a moment. But I, yeah, I am looking forward to how Saudi Arabia deals with both Thailand and Oman. Mm. They'll be interesting fixtures, nonetheless. And and obviously Amman Thailand will be a bit of a shootout, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And I'm expecting Kyrgyzstan to not quite be whipping boys to this group, but if they get in any more than one point, I'd be uh, pleasantly surprised for them. Yep, indeed, indeed. Alrighty, Laz, we've gone through each of the groups at this 2023 Asian Cup played in 2024. <laughs> Just to confuse <laughs> and, everyone. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, I, still ongoing, like the Euros and the Olympics and bloody Asian Cup. Yep, wonderful. 
I'm I still feeling the effects. I think this is the last tournament affected by COVID, I'd, I'd have to say, considering that, hope chi- so. <laughs> that China pulled out hosting it. So, yes. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, it's time for us to make our predictions for these groups mm-hmm. and to see how these uh, the brackets line up and uh, make some uh, bold predictions for the tournament as a whole. Let's go from the top, Laz, starting with Group A. Uh, China, Lebanon, Tajikistan and Qatar. Who's going through in first? Who's going through in second? I've got Qatar going through in first, China in second, Tajikistan in third, and Lebanon fourth, going home. Oh, I've got something pretty different. I've got China winning the group, just. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think it comes down to goal difference. Uh-huh. Uh, because I had China and Qatar having a draw between them, and then sure. when it's a draw between those two, just a case of how you go against yep. the other two teams, because I do think they'll beat both the others. I've got Lebanon edging Tajikistan in their matchup. So I've got the uh, Tajikistan team going home in fourth place and a uh, surprise win for China in Group A. Fair enough. Look, I don't pick Qatar with any great sense of confidence. I just think that, um, again, being the hosts, like I got found out in the World Cup, though, uh, they did disappoint me in the World Cup, so let's wait and see what happens. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... History's going to repeat itself, Les. (laughs) Perhaps, perhaps. Group B. Australia, Uzbekistan, Syria, and India. I've got Australia going through in first, Uzbekistan second, and Syria finishing third, India going home. Same order for mine. Mm-hmm. As okay. I said in the preview, i am uh, got a bit of a uh, a dark horse here in Uzbekistan. I think they can make a real push uh, for a real run in the knockouts. They, but... oh, they fail, they, they deceive. Every time mm-hmm. everyone, like every Asian Cup, Every World Cup qualifying, every World Cup qualification campaign, it's always been, oh, watch out for Uzbekistan. Oh, watch out for Uzbekistan. No, <laughs> sorry, no, they won't be winning the group. So they Australia... won't be winning the group. And I, I but... and I don't think they're going to go far either, Nathan. They're not a but, dark horse. Uh, for mine, they are. For mine, they are. They've had a really good run in uh, in recent fixtures, and I they... think they're good enough to pick up wins against Syria and India. They got a couple of key injuries though. They do. They so do. that's why I'm like no. I'm putting a red, a red like I think they make quarters and that's it. Which is where they, which is what their level has always been. I've got them making the semis. No, not you're dreaming. And based on my predictions, which uh, we'll come on to our knockout trees. I can't believe you've on. got them making semis. Anyway, <laughs> <sighs> I think dear. they've got a kind corner of the draw. That that's why potentially yes, potentially if that, they finish in second, yeah. In if yeah. they finish second, yes, right. If they finish, yeah, that's right. But That's... we'll come on to our knockout trees. But knowing them, they'll, knowing them, they'll finish third. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> so, group C. Uh, group C, Iran, Palestine, Hong Kong, and the UAE. I've got Iran picking up three wins. Mm-hmm. I've got the UAE uh, finishing in second, Palestine third. Mm-hmm. I've got the same order. Unfortunately, Hong Kong going home. I've got the same order. Exactly the same order. Iran, UAE, Palestine, and Hong Kong. I've given Hong Kong a point against uh, Palestine. Yeah, look. I, th- I think they will get a point, but yeah. But that's not about enough it. to uh, have any real threat in the group. Correct. Group D, comprising of Japan, Vietnam, Iraq, and Indonesia. East Asian group, really, with Iraq thrown in. Mm. It's an interesting group, this one. It is. It is. Vietnam, the uh, little surprise package from 2019. I think they will qualify as one of the best thirds, Same. perhaps. Yep. But uh, I've got. Iraq finishing ahead in second and Japan mm-hmm. winning the group. Correct. And Indonesia with, going home. 
Yes, uh, Japan with three wins. I think there's plenty of goals on offer in this group stage for Japan as well. I think they might uh, embarrass uh, one or two teams in the group. Agree with you there. Agree with you there. Group E, Republic of Korea, Jordan, Bahrain, Malaysia. How do you have it? I've got Korea winning again, mm -hmm. nine Same. points out of nine. Same. I've got Bahrain in second, Jordan in third, and Malaysia going home. I've got Jordan finishing in second and Bahrain third. But, yeah, I, look, either or there. It was a toss of the coin for me. Um, um, the scores that I have have uh, gone for, it's uh, down to goal difference. Yeah, so, you know, it's a toss of the coin, either Bahrain or Jordan. So, yep. and, and I think the team that finishes third will go as one of the top four as well. Yeah, I think so. Um, because you should be able to pick up three points against Malaysia, mm. who I think will lose all three Correct. games, unfortunately. And uh, so. three points might be enough to get you into the knockouts, even if you if you finish third. Laz Group F, yep. Saudi Arabia, Oman, Thailand, and Kyrgyzstan. I have Saudi Arabia, Thailand, Oman, and Kyrgyzstan going home. Swap two and three for me. Saudi Arabia oh. first, Oman in second, uh, Thailand. Uh, I've got them going home. Uh, finishing uh, outside the uh, the best four thirds. Yep, but uh, third nonetheless. Yeah. Look, when you get to the brackets, it's, uh, you know there are variables here with regards to how the top four of the six go. Um, top four yeah, third uh, place my, teams, I should say. Yep, my best thirds. I've got Jordan, Lebanon, Vietnam, and Palestine to go through. And I've got yeah, effectively the, the same except for Bahrain and Jordan. Yep. I've got Vietnam, I've got um you've got um Thailand, I've got Oman. Um mm -hmm. and um Palestine, did you say? Uh yeah, I've got Palestine yep, as the uh, the fourth best third. Yep, same. Same. So and Syria, I can't believe they haven't taken Omar Al Sama to this Asian Cup. I agree. And and that's why I think that yeah, look, it's weird. It's weird. I, I can see them missing out. I can see them missing yeah. out, you know. Um, although, look, if they knock over Uzbekistan in the group, they'll uh, go through in second, right? So how do you have your yep. brackets? Uh, so my round of 16 matches are as follows. In the top left, I've got Qatar against UAE and Japan against Jordan. Uh -huh. In the bottom left, I've got Australia, Vietnam uh -huh. and Saudi Arabia, Bahrain. Yep. In the top right, I've got Iran, Lebanon and Korea, Iraq. Uh -huh. And in the bottom right, I've got China, Palestine and uh -huh. Uzbekistan, Oman. Okay, and I've got um, China, UAE, um, Japan, Bahrain in the top left quadrant, if you want to call it that. Uh, then Australia, mm -hmm. Vietnam, and uh, Saudi Arabia, Jordan. Then I've got Iran, Oman, and Korea, Iraq. And then in the bottom quarter of the draw, Qatar, Palestine, and Uzbekistan, Thailand. Very different. Very oh. different matchups. Your quarterfinals look like what? So... My four quarterfinals are Qatar, Japan, uh -huh. Australia, Saudi Arabia, uh -huh. Iran, Korea, Republic, uh -huh. and China, Uzbekistan. Okay. And so I've got UAE, Japan, Australia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, uh, Iran, Korea, and Qatar, Uzbekistan. Only oh, because no. Qatar are hosts. There's no, yep. like I said, there's no <laughs> confidence, and I don't have much confidence in Uzbekistan. And uh, you've fallen folly of this in the World Cup. Mm. <laughs> it seems like you're wandering into the same trap. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so have you got Qatar making a semi-final, Laz? I do. Not with great confidence, I have to say. Yep. Not with great confidence. Because um, that sort of, like that quarter of the draw, 
it's just the week. Yeah, it is. You know, it really so, is. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, I've got Iran, Korea. I've got I've got Korea. Mm-hmm. Looking over Iran, uh, Australia, Saudi Arabia. I'm going Australia, and I'm going Japan versus UAE, Japan. So, out of the four semi-finals you've got, mm-hmm. I out of those four, only one of those has made the semis on my bracket. Wow, which okay. is Japan, Japan, which is Japan. Okay, do tell. So I've got the Saudis knocking over the Socceroos, mm-hmm. unfortunately, on penalties. Yes, on penalties. Yes, as you've mentioned. Yes. Okay. Yes, uh, in a a very uh, Roberto Mancini Italy style mm-hmm. performance. <laughs> uh, I've got Iran getting past Korea. Yeah, that's a flip of the coin for that one, but I think yeah. Korea just got too much. Yeah, that's just, as you say, a flip of the coin. And I've got Uzbekistan getting past China. So you have Uzbekistan making the semi-final. I do, and getting further than the Socceroos, coming out of the same group, just which means just does not the Socceroos should finish me. second. Just does not make sense to me. That's right, yes. <laughs> According to the you know, Nathan Gould. Yeah, that's right. According to Nathan Gould, yes, they should. Okay. Hey, if, if the Socceroos finish second in this bracket, they'll make the well, final. You know what? You're right. You know, mm. but it's just not. I just don't see it playing out that way. No, but <laughs> and yes. it's, it's very Gareth but, Southgate England to finish second in a group. But yes, look, really, <laughs> um, when you think about it, I can't believe them. You're right. They would. Mm. They would absolutely make a semi final from that. No questions asked. No, I. I they'd, they'd probably make the final. Ooh, probably yes. Yeah. And look, and that's why I didn't pull up um, Sean Carroll. Because mm. Australia could finish second, and mm. it could and it could be Japan or Australia in the final, <laughs> you know. So yes, yeah, I don't see Graham Arnold. Me neither. It's not in his style. Strategizing to finish second, I, I don't see. It. I don't think it's not it's, in his nature. It's also not in an Australian national team nature to do either. Correct. Like it's, uh, I always cringe a little bit when people say, "Oh, something's un-Australian," but. Yes, uh, I know. Uh, like, I know you do, yes. And, uh, like, so do I, but yes. T- tanking a group to finish second to get a better draw, it, it doesn't sit right. It could just happen. It could just yeah. happen from football, you know, and, you know, we warm into a tournament rather than, you know, go and win the, the group from the start and be bundled down the quarterfinal. Mm. But yes, okay, so your quarterfinal, so your semifinals look like? Japan, Saudi Arabia uh-huh. and Iran, Uzbekistan. Whilst I have Japan versus Australia and mm-hmm. Korea, Qatar. Very interesting. Who makes the final for you, Les? Japan versus Korea. Not Qatar? No. <laughs> so you've got a uh, a derby, so to speak, in mm-hmm. the Asian Cup final. Correct. That'll be a spectacular game if it is to be. Yeah, it will be a good game. I think it would be mm. a good game. And I've got Japan taking it out. Yep. So I've got Japan getting over the Saudis in the semi. And I'm putting Uzbekistan in the final. No, I'm not. Okay, I was going to say. <laughs> uh, Iran to get over. It's a little bit of a, a dream run for Uzbekistan, but in the, my uh, fantasy world, it uh, all comes crashing down in the semifinals, and Iran are just cunning enough to get through to the final to take on Japan. And I do have the Blue Samurai winning this Asian Cup. Like yourself, I just think they're too strong in all mm-hmm. aspects, in all areas of the pitch. Look, either, either way, Nathan. A, yeah, yeah, sorry. I think there's a couple of uh, I think there's a couple of standout players in other teams that would make the Japanese squad and first eleven, but I think overall just the floor. Japan have the highest floor out of all Mm. the teams, and I think that's a a good way to look at it. They got the most well-rounded squad. No, agree with you there. Cannot disagree with you. Either way, I think this is going to be a really interesting tournament. Um, There will be upsets, but 
I think it's pretty straightforward as far as where we see teams uh, ending up. It would be an interesting twist of fate should Australia finish second in the group and then get end up in that quadrant. Yeah. Because, yeah, I see them making a final. The thing is, if that were to happen, then like, how would that play out in the group? That means what? Uzbekistan, for instance, would finish first and Australia second. It would but have just... to be Uzbekistan to win the group. Because and I don't, I don't see... see Syria or India no. getting enough points on the board. And I don't, see so... Uzbek... yeah, I don't see Uzbekistan doing that. That would mean, how would that even play out? Australia, Uzbekistan be a draw, and they top it on goal difference, perhaps. Perhaps. Australia perhaps. get frustrated against Syria to a point. Yep. Maybe. Just uh, even and, just exploring avenues to how it would even come about seems unrealistic. And the keeper has a blinder for India. Yeah. And that's it. Hey, wouldn't it be a good story if uh, Sunil Chetri gets on the score sheet against Australia? The veteran. Yes, but no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but no. No, I completely understand <laughs> where you're coming from with regard to that. And that's it. That's our AFC Asian Cup preview 2023 slash 2024 version of it being played out of Qatar. You can catch all the action on Paramount Plus and the Australian games will be on Network 10. But Nathan, I think we've hit the back peg on the AFC Asian Cup preview. Yeah. Uh, also, Thanks again to uh, Paul McNamara from Hong Kong, from Sean Carroll from Japan, and from uh, Paul Neat from Seoul. A great insight from uh, those three gents, and uh, you can find uh, their socials, as mentioned in, in those interviews. Uh, do check them out. Great to get more eyes on Asian football. Everyone benefits if uh, there's a bit more focus on Asian football from uh, this part of the world, because uh, all these guys are in their backyard, and there's some really good football to watch. As we'll see over the next four weeks, Mr. Grimos. A indeed. pleasure as always. Yeah, indeed, Nathan. And look, credit to Paramount Plus. They do, they're invested in Asian football, which is uh, really good to see. So, yep, totally agree with you there. Thanks again for your company, Nathan. And thanks for everything you do with regard to the pod, because this episode has been a real pleasure to get, you know, to get together and do the interviews with, but you had the joy of putting it all together. So thank you very much for that. As we speak, I haven't had that joy yet. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, we're putting it all together now. <laughs> we're putting it I all together. I love it when a plan comes together. Yes. That's it. That's it. No, but thank you for uh, everything you do. And thank you to all the Backpeg listeners and hope you enjoy the Asian Cup. Yes. And I uh, hope you uh, come back for more Asian Cup content from us over the course of the tournament. Uh, probably do some regular uploads, not every day, of course. No. But uh, maybe uh, after the Socceroos games and then at the stages of the knockouts. That'll be sort of what we've got penciled in at the moment. We'll see what comes out. Uh, but in any case, enjoy the football and uh, we'll speak to you soon.